This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty on SENZ. Folks, welcome into the show. Bang on 10 a.m. Saturday, January 21st. 2023, where has my life gone? It's flashing before my eyes. My name is Daniel McCarty. I am back. Uh, the guy who's been alongside me for a while, uh, I think, is in India. We, we, we don't communicate much. Uh, Grant Elliott myself. Uh, ben Francis is here and back. The Munnet. Good to see you, friend. We'll hear from you in just a moment. As far as what's coming up on the show, well, we do hope plenty of you. That is going to be a big uh, call to action from us. We would love to hear from you on 0800-150-811. Line's always open. If you want to add uh, in your two cents, which I value at a million dollars, always call. Feel free. Um, your voice is so important to us. You could also text us on double eight double three if you just prefer to uh, send a pithy message that way. Uh, I encourage you to just uh, participate and have some fun with it. We try to have some fun on this uh, program. Uh, we have had plenty of fun in uh, previous iterations. Uh, we will continue to do that, we do hope, uh, and with you. So if you want to join in, 0800 It's not as if there's not much sport going on right now. I'll get to that in just a moment. As far as what is coming up on the program, a little bit later this hour, going to catch up with one of the finest cricketing minds around, in my humble opinion. Uh, you would have heard as dulcet tones part of our uh, one-day commentary team for our recently completed series, New Zealand up against Pakistan. Um, Peter McGlashan will join at the show, now uh, talking cricket uh, with PGG Wrights and Turf. Uh, we will uh, look at that extraordinary... I'm just going to call it the Michael Bracewell game, shall we? Uh, the Michael Bracewell uh, game, uh, New Zealand's tour to India, the one-day series, uh, the White Fern squad for the World Cup as well. I'm sure people will be well across that. Uh, with the uh, T20 World Cup in South Africa not too far away. Uh, our dear friend, Mornal. Mornal's! Mornal's on board! That's Mornay Morkel. If you're not aware what I'm talking about, I stupidly called him Mornal once during an interview. And, you know, amazingly, he actually came back on the show after that uh, rather humiliating moment. Uh, we'll catch up with Peter McGlashan later this hour. We'll also have the odd show, the sporting stories, the bizarre ones that you may have missed, but you definitely need to know about. Uh, also on the show in the second hour, we're going to talk some boxing. Parker up against Massey. Chad Milnes is going to join us to break that fight down. Uh, all going well. We'll catch up with Annalie Longo, who's one of the hardest uh, working people in all of the world this week. Uh, football Ferns, um, uh, A-League uh, action. Yeah, a great week for women's football in New Zealand. Record uh, crowd at Sky Stadium during the week. And now the Football Ferns later this afternoon play their first ever game at Eden Park, I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, very much looking forward to catching up with Annalie, the former uh, Football Fern. And we do hope uh, future Football Fern, as she's recovering from a knee injury. Uh, she'll join the program before 12 o'clock. Uh, into the final hour of the show, and we head into playoffs and the NFL. It's uh, 
I, I must admit, I'm a transient NFL fan. I sort of really get excited when the playoffs uh, hit us. I, I don't really have a team. I've never been able, I've never been able to find peace with the team to support. Um, s- sort of a, a fleeting relationship with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, it comes and goes. Uh, but uh, uh, joining us uh, from Niners Nation, Jordan Elliott's going to break uh, everything down for us after 12 o'clock. Um, also, um, I assume we'll hear from the Good Oil crew as well. I uh, can't wait to catch up with them. And uh, the sporting tips you should uh, r- probably run a mile from. Uh, although we had a pretty good uh, hit rate uh, towards the end of 2022. Uh, fingers, toes, everything crossed that uh, that will roll on into 2023. Um, I know we're a few weeks in. It's still strange to say 2023 to me. Uh, but at the top of the hour, we like to update you with the very latest in sports headlines. And two-time finalist, Daniel Medvedev has suffered a shock third-round defeat by American Sebastian Corda at the Australian Tennis Open as top players continue to fall in the men's draw, all falling down like toy soldiers, someone sung in the 80s. Uh, former US uh, Open champion and seventh seed Medvedev lost 7-6, 9-7 in that tiebreaker, 6-3, 7-6, 7-4 on that tiebreaker to the 22-year-old quarter. Uh, two top seeds, well the top two seeds Rafael Nadal and Kasper Ruud are already out, although third seed Stefanos Tsitsipas uh, won through last, uh, or won through yesterday, I can't remember if it was the night or the afternoon game, they're blurring into each other, meanwhile world number one Iga Svetek uh, needed just 55 minutes to beat her Spanish uh, uh, qualifier uh, opponent Cristina Bus- uh, Buxa uh, to breeze into the fourth round, uh, the pole won 6-love, six 6-1 six on Margaret Court Arena, and we'll play Wimbledon uh, champion uh, Elena Rybakina next. Um, nominative determinism, I think, is the term um, for our next story. Nottingham Forest have signed New Zealand striker and Newcastle forward Chris Wood. Wood off to the forest. No one has made that joke in the last 24 hours. I'm absolutely certain of that. Uh, but it's a loan deal up until the end of the season, although the deal does include an option to make the transfer permanent in 2024. Wood moves after a year at Newcastle. He signed for Burnley uh, in the region of 20 million quid plus, wasn't it? It was quite a substantial fee, so very, very good deal for Burnley. Um, it has to be said, although Chris Wood did a fabulous job for Newcastle uh, when they needed him to, to lead the line, be a focal point, to help take pressure off. These are all things Eddie Howe said in a press conference yesterday uh, describing why they're looking to move on because the evolution of Newcastle, they're near the top of the table. They're, they're one of the stories of the EPL. Uh, they're looking for something different. The New Zealand captain played 18 games in the league this campaign, scoring just twice, uh, but most of those appearances were off the bench with just four starts. Alina and Mina Kiwi, Joseph Parker has tipped the scales at 112 kgs. Uh, for his heavyweight clash against Brit Jack Massey. Parker returns to the ring on Sunday morning as he bids to return to winning ways after being handed his first knockout loss last September when he was beaten by Joe Joyce. Parker's 112kg weight gives him a huge 14k advantage over Massey, who himself registered at 98kgs in his way. And there you have it, the very latest in sports headlines. It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock. The lines are open 0800-150-811. You can text us on double eight double three. us being me and Ben Francis today. The great man. I, I'm not sure if you had much of a break, my friend, but it is good to see your beautiful face. How are you? Very good, Daniel, and likewise. But uh, I think it's going to be one of these rare catch-ups because I think we're, we're dodging each other for the next couple of months as well. 
Yeah, I must admit, we should probably, uh, you know, tell the audience, a bit like at the start of 2022 with, um, you know, cricket commitments for myself and Grant, we, I don't think we got together till March, did we? Yeah, Even I think Elliot was claiming he, I think only, Elliot was claiming he was only off for two weeks all year. <laughs> uh, wasn't the case. Um, but I've got some commitments, um, also some holidays, um, God forbid, after, you know, working through the Christmas New Year period in that privileged position of uh, commentating cricket here on SENZ. And uh, you're actually having a holiday. How very dare you? How very dare you, my friend? Oh, I know. I'm, I'm such a grinch, aren't I? <laughs> Did you get much time off? You've been working right through. Oh, I, I, I must admit, when you, when you work through the night... You don't often switch on the radio early in the morning to find out who's at work. Yeah, oh, fair enough. But uh, I had a, had a very short break, but, you know, better than what it has been in previous years. But, yeah, going away again next weekend, so to actually proper proper get away. So should be fun. And you can't tell anyone because you, you, you're, so, you're such a big deal these days. We don't want the pap chasing you. We don't want the paps chasing you. No, but I I'm, I don't usually go away when it's like a long weekend, so it's going to be something a bit different because I like I like usually going away when it's less busy. But this is what I've been dragged into. It wasn't my choice. I'm going to put you on the spot. The sports story of the week or top two, if you are to tell me what was the sports story of the week that we must talk about with our audience right this very moment on 0800-150811. Ben Francis, what was the sports story in your mind? Sir Andy Murray. It's awesome, isn't it? It was so good. And considering, you know, there was there was that rally where he was just running back and forth and it didn't look like he was going to get there and he, he just kept on fighting. And then the fact that he also in that same game came from 2-0 uh, down and pretty much down and out to win, just absolutely incredible. So I, I'm, all, I'm all for Sir Andy. Oh, I, I'm loving it too. That, that, that's such a fascinating, bizarre little story where um, you might remember the video montage they played. Was it at the last Aussie Open or maybe the one prior? Where basically the tournament was trying to retire him. Uh, and Andy really hadn't actually announced it. Sorry, Sir Andy. Uh, Sir Andy. Um, you know, get that right, please. Uh, it, it's, it's bizarre seeing someone who's actually a knight uh, still just competing, Sir Andy Murray, um, and doing so well, battling hard, rolling back the years. Uh He's, his career's been so blighted by um, physical issues and injuries. I still struggle to get my head around he's only 35 years of age. Um, he, he feel It feels to me like he's a bit older than that, but still 35 is very long in the tooth in that, you know, traditionally. And, and I know this generation has sort of uh, started to kick that old trope down the road, uh, you know, with, with the big three, big four, how many uh, you want to put into that, um, you know, rolling on into, uh, you know, deep into their 30s. But it's just a wonderful story, and long may it continue. Um, I, I hope he goes well. I hope he goes well, um, Andy Murray. Can he go all the way, or is, is that a bit fanciful, Ben? Oh, probably a, probably a bit of a stretch, I reckon, but, boy, you'd love to see it, especially considering the whole bottom half of his body is pretty much metal and tin. <laughs> He's what, like Darth Vader? Essentially, but, yeah. But a good, a, a good version of Darth Vader. Yeah, it, it held together with bolts and screws. Uh, yeah, long might continue at uh, the Australian Open. If you want to discuss uh, that or what you've seen at uh, Melbourne, feel free. This is your chance. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Couple of uh, stories that really did stick out for me, and you can set the agenda. We always encourage you to do that. The sporting story of the week, as far as you're concerned. I couldn't uh, quite believe when I, I must admit, I didn't watch it. Uh, I took the rare opportunity to tr- attempt to sleep. Um, Michael Bracewell, 
the Michael Bracewell game, I'll just call it, that quite incredible innings, which nearly resulted in one of the greatest comebacks in cricket. New Zealand were chasing 350 after Shubman Gill just smashed us to all parts in a truly brilliant, magnificent, wondrous one-day innings, scoring over 200 runs himself. And when Bracewell, uh, batting at number seven, strode to the wicket, New Zealand were 110 for five, halfway through the 25th over. So New Zealand required 240 runs at a wild nine and a half runs and over. So what does Bracewell do? Well, he goes and gets 140 off 78 balls. It's quite, um, it's quite awe-inspiring, really. His first 50 came off 31 balls with four, uh, eight fours and a six. Um, he got to his 100 off 57 balls. So his um, second 50 came off, what, just 26 balls? That, 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 that's incredible. And then the final 40 came off 13 balls, didn't it? That's it's just, it's just incredible. Um, an amazing knock. So something along the lines of he hit 90 off 39 balls, the last 39 balls he faced. Um, come on, man, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's such a shame he, he couldn't finish the job off because if he did, and that's the thing, we, we put so much stock in winning games that if you fall short, it sort of, takes away from the narrative. Um, if he did get them over the line, um, I, I think we probably would have had uh, our talkback lines clogged for a few days, and uh, maybe even into today. So if you want to um, uh, talk about that, feel free. 0800 150 811. Uh, the other story, big news this week that, that really caught my attention and plenty of people's attention. Uh, the news, Dave Rennie is gone and Fast Eddie is back. Yeah, uh, and boy, did that move fast. Extraordinary. Uh, to see a new coach named um, in a press release with a footnote in the press release basically being the sacking of a pretty fine coach, Dave Rennie. Uh, Rennie had had his issues, um, the winning percentage quite low by Australian uh, historical standards, but this is a fairly thin class of quality Australian rugby players, I would have thought, and his side had been hit by numerous injuries in that time, so there were sort of... Ex- circumstances that you could uh, argue it away. Australia last year had wins over Argentina, South Africa, England, Scotland, Wales, but they did lose to Argentina, South Africa, New Zealand, France, Italy and Ireland. But it, it might have been that northern tour that um, um, was the signing of the death warrant, if you will. Um, but the losses to Ireland was just by three points. One point loss to the best team in the world, that is France and a one-point loss to Scotland. Uh, there was also a one-point loss, I, th- I think it was, to uh, Italy, which might have been the killer, uh, even though they had a kick to win it right at the death. So, uh, yeah, commiserations to Dave Rennie. Um, he'll bounce back. He's a fine coach. Um, his record is a pretty good one over a long, long period of time. It'll be fascinating to see where he lands. But being replaced by a guy, who was in charge of, what, the best regional side in the world, but yet only beat Italy, Wales, and Australia last year, by my count. Yeah, that's right. Italy, Wales, and Australia. England lost to Scotland. Ben Francis, they lost, he, they lost to Scotland. That would cheer you up. Oh, it certainly does. Also, yeah, absolutely. Also lost to Ireland, France, Australia, Argentina, and South Africa, and drew with the All Blacks. You can hardly say that was a sparkling uh, year for uh, English rugby, uh, hence why Eddie Jones, of course, got the sack. But um, one thing Eddie Jones will do, um, will keep Australia um, in the sporting headlines uh, in Australia. He's already done that. Uh, Yeah, 
you've had a few days to digest that. Uh, is it the right move? I, I'm really torn. I'm really torn. We made this point, and I went through a long list towards the end of the year on the show. Essentially, it was everyone has beaten everyone in international rugby except France, who's just beaten everyone they've played. France were unbeaten last year. I think France have won now 13 games in a row. But there is an argument to say the field is so, so close. So was it the prudent approach making this move? Would you not have bat the guy who actually ran very close with depleted squads beating a number of these teams? Or because it is such an even field that you can look to get a coaching bounce, if you will, and can make huge strides at a World Cup? I, I can really see so, both sides of the argument. I really can. Um, if you can just, you know, go up maybe 5%, uh, you increase your chances so much at the, the upcoming World Cup at the uh, towards the end of the year. So those were the two biggest story as far as I was concerned. Uh, ben Francis uh, talking about uh, Sir Andy Murray. But uh, let's hear from you on 0800 150 or uh, text double eight double three. Someone writes here, uh, hi there, uh, you would have to think Bracewell is going to get a massive payday uh, for Indian T20 cricket this year. Um, thank you, Unnamed Texter. Uh, I would agree with you. It's one of the uh, few things um, that was running through my mind when I, I caught up with the scorecard and watched the highlights uh, in front of a packed house, well, close to a packed house, it, compared to what we saw in Pakistan. Uh, it was a good crowd. And uh, we do know that um, IPL teams have a history of going for... Um, the new hot ticket, the new fancy item, and doing it in front of uh, the Indian faithful, no doubt would uh, increase his chances uh, greatly. So Michael Bracewell has had a wonderful uh, couple of months, you'd have to say, at times with the ball against Pakistan, and uh, now with the bat, with that uh, extraordinary uh, inning. So I've set the table for you. Feel free to join us, 0800-150-811. We will be back after a, a short break, hopefully, with some of your calls. Stay with us. Ah, the Saturday Sun. The Saturday Sun certainly is out in Hamilton. The uh, World Sevens Circuit um, Tournament has uh, started. And uh, the All Black Sevens, uh, the New Zealand side playing Tonga in the first game. They are under two minutes away from the first half siren sounding. And New Zealand lead by 12 points to nil. Uh, Moses Leo scored in the opening minute. And Regan Weir, after four minutes, has made it uh, 12 points to nil. Uh, brilliant conditions, it has to be said, for uh, what is a final um, tournament in New Zealand. A, a real shame, um, as we did not make the cut for iconic, I'm using those air quote things again, Ben, uh, iconic um, events for the updated um, World 7 circuit, uh, which will launch later this year. Uh, New Zealand uh, not making uh, the cut, so... Um, that's sad in some ways, um, for sure. Um, I, I wonder if many people out there are lamenting what we did have, uh, especially in my town. I'm very biased. Uh, the Wellington Sevens for so many years was a fantastic event before um, the Wowsers got involved. Um, and, you know, some really niggly Auckland-based media who just talked down to it and bagged it. And um, look what's happened. Well done, everyone. Yay. We're not iconic, but Singapore is. Well, to be fair, actually, I, I I have spoken um, a little bit too soon there. I'm I'm not even sure they made the final cut, but you know what I mean, Ben. But just, what else? So what, odd. What else is there in Hamilton? 
the detour? <laughs> Their new motorway is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's nice, isn't it? It's delightful. Hello, Hamilton. Um, but there's plenty going on right now, as uh, Ben has mentioned at the top of the program, uh, the Australian Open, the, the story of Sir Andy Murray, the New Zealand League of the World Seven Circuit, of course. Uh, Men's Hockey World Cup is underway. New Zealand are battling in that. Uh, one win uh, from three games and uh, now have a crossover game against host uh, India next up in a sudden death match. Uh, on the horizon, on the horizon, because this is a massive sporting year. Uh, and let's set the table right at the top of the year. This is a massive sporting year. On the horizon, we've got Winter X Games starting in just under a week, and we now have newfound confidence um, in winter sports, don't we, as a nation? Uh, there'll be far more eyeballs on that. Um, beyond that, the ICC Women's T20 World Cup starts in South Africa in early February. Um, what are our chances there? Uh, October this year, the men will play the one-day World Cup in India, and you might remember New Zealand has made the last two finals, uh, including 2019. Although some of you are desperate to never think about that day. Uh, Never forget, is what I say. Uh, It really is the year of the World Cup. A real treat will be when Australia and New Zealand co-host the FIFA Women's World Cup in July and August. What a special occasion that will be. Uh, Fantastic to hear over half a million tickets have already been sold with domestic sales strong and fans in the USA, England, China, Germany and Canada apparently leading the charge from, uh, you know, foreign ports. Uh, Then we will have the Netball World Cup also in July and August in South Africa uh, with New Zealand looking to defend their crown. Uh, Speaking of putting uh, balls into hoops, uh, we will witness the 19th FIBA Basketball World Cup in the Philippines, Japan and Indonesia. Our Tall Blacks have punched their ticket. Will uh, they do better than what a 19th place finished in 2019? We surely will be aiming for higher. Uh, What is the possibilities with the talent we do have? Surely... A repeat of the 2002 uh, heroics and a fourth-place finish might be a little bit fanciful. Do tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, there is also a Rugby World Cup in France in September and October. New Zealand kick off their campaign against the hosts on September 8. And what a tough welcome that will be. 2022 proved a wild year in international rugby, as I've mentioned. Everyone beat everyone, unless, of course, you are France. France just won a lot, unbeaten, in 2022. Um. France's record sticks out like a sore thumb. They've won 13 tests in a row. Um, last loss against Australia in July 2021. Uh, and that year, in 2021, they beat New Zealand on the end-of-year tour. So New Zealand might do rather well to win their opening game of a World Cup. And beyond that, who knows? Unless you do, of course, and you want to tell me on 800 150 You add to this impressive list of four-year World Cups all the club sport that we will see, the countless annual world championships across a range of sports, this is a year we surely are going to revel in. So tell me, and I'll start off with Ben Francis here, tell me this, and you can do it on 0800 or text us double eight double three. What are the personal highlights you are looking forward to the most? Uh, is it your club team doing great things, or is it more um, New Zealand chasing a world title that has your attention? What is your top priority in 2023? Yes, I'm going to make you choose one. Why? Because it's interesting. What do you want desperately? What are you most confident about? What do you want more than the rest? What do you want more than anything else in this full sporting world in 2023? Ben Francis, go. Well, the event I'm looking most forward to, I would probably have to say, would be the Women's World Cup which is, of course, being co-hosted here. I get the feeling, though, the public will probably lean towards what direction the 
New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks take because a wrong decision could be a massive downfall in the game. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I'm with you as far as an event. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, the best women's teams here in New Zealand and Australia. I can't wait to see uh, the very best play in front of, um, you know, good crowds by the sounds uh, and to see the very best uh, women's football has been on an an incredible climb in the last uh, 10, 15 years. It's professionalism really does take over across the globe. Uh, It's going to be a truly, um, you know, privileged position we're all going to be in. So I'm really looking forward to that event because it's in front of us. You know, great you know, great times of the day um, and evening to watch all of these games. But if there's one event I really want us to win, it's probably not that because I'm I'm resigned to the fact we don't have much of a chance. I'm sorry to say. Um, what say you? Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. The event you're looking forward to, or the one title that you wish more than other? Let me guess, Ben Francis, the Warriors to win the NRL. Yeah, yeah. 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 No comment. No, no comment. G'day, Zane. Welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. Happy New Year. Good to see you back. And to you. Hey, um, oh, mate, you probably know me well enough to know that I'm going to go with the Warriors myself, and it's not to win a title. Good man. Uh, Good man. Andrew, Andrew Webster be given all the resources and um, freedom he needs to start to build this foundation for long-term success. Um, if I see the, the guys run out there fitter, more committed, play with more heart throughout the whole season this year compared to the last two or three years, that'll be a win for me. Wow, you're playing the long game. I am. What's wrong with you, Zane? You've got patience. It's 2023. We don't have patience in sport. We want results now or everyone should get sacked. Mate, I've I've decided. I've I've made a commitment to a new persona for 2023. (laughs) um, I I shall be known as the the warrior-holic who is bringing a balanced and positive approach to supporting the Warriors for the first time in... So if they look fitter, more committed, uh, I think you said something else, but it escapes me, but yet they finished outside the eight. No problem. What? I would take... No, really? I would take that over a a lucky, um, inconsistent year that saw us scrape into the eight that, you know, saw no foundation for long-term success. What gives you faith, personnel-wise, that they have building blocks for longer term? Andrew Webster. Um, I can't say He's too much about the... You, you have that higher hopes or that bigger wraps on I, him. I, I, I have spent the past 16 years fixing broken organisations across the world and worked directly with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Mate, the first time I heard that guy speak, he defines what I look for in a CEO who can achieve change. Why? Elaborate I, on I, that, Zane. That's a pretty big call, and I, I respect what you've done in mate, your life. So if if you listen to the way he breaks down what he's looking to achieve by setting a... Like, he said quite clearly, look, we're never going into this not thinking we're going to win the title. Every NRL club will aim to win the title. He said, but we're looking for long-term success. I'm breaking up down these micro goals and milestones that we have to achieve in every session of every day over the course of the entire season to build progression through to success. And that's the only way to do it. You can't just dream that you, and make a, a random statement that you're going to win it, but you have to build that clear pathway 
And everything he explains about how he's going to go about doing it makes perfect sense to me. It's how I would do it with an organisation. Zane, lovely to hear your voice. Thanks uh, so much for being our first caller of the year. Uh, long may that continue, and I'll give you a call after 1 o'clock and you can break my, uh, fix my broken life. Oh, well, happily, mate. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Have a good one. You're, you're a good man. Thanks so much. 0800 There was lots of nodding from Ben Francis. I, 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 you're in agreement. You just want to see some building blocks. Yeah, totally. And for me, the Warriors' most successful period in the last 10 years was under Todd Payton. And the Warriors might have not got the wins, but they looked like there was that effort out there. And even though they were yeah. losing, you could see that. And I guess that's probably what Zane was kind of saying towards. If you're seeing those small improvements and the Warriors getting better because of how far how far back things have gone, then you're probably going to be like, okay, you know, this is good moving forward. Brilliant. Keep the keep the course text coming in. Uh, we're going to speak to Peter McGlashan in a few minutes, so we'll happily take your number and give you a call back maybe after uh, a little bit later when we do have a window. Um, if you want to add to this, the one one thing you are prioritising in 2023 as far as sport is concerned, would love to hear your voices uh, throughout the show, uh, or if you just want to send a text, double eight double three. Uh, it's interesting, you know, someone talking about this building blocks. Me, I'm, I just want to win crap. Um, I I just want to win things, um, world titles. It's hard, hard to look beyond them. Mm, I might ponder mine, other than you know shooting from the hip. Back after this break, though, with uh, our talking cr- cricket segment with uh, PGG Rights and Turf, uh, the wonderful Mr. Peter McLeishan is up next. Okay, our question of the day to you: What's your sporting priority for 2023? What is the one thing you want to see more than most? Because it's a huge sporting year. There's so much to look forward to as far as marquee international events alongside your regular club uh, competitions, your uh, annual um, international sporting tournaments. Uh, do let us know either on uh, 0800 150 811 or text us as John has on double eight double three. And I do like this one, John. Thanks for participating. He just wants to see Ryan Fox to win a major. What a great year he did have. Uh, he had a good round overnight, didn't he? I, I think he shot the lights out again. So uh, that's a pretty good shout, John. That would be fabulous. Seems a long time ago. I think, what, 2005? Michael Campbell, the US Open. Uh, thank you, John. Um, keep those messages coming in. Um, your sporting priority for 2023. Right now, though, it is time to talk some cricket with PGG Rights and Turf, key suppliers to New Zealand cricket grounds. Interesting week, um, both the men's and women's games, of course, at the top level as far as New Zealand is concerned. Uh, New Zealand went down to India in an extraordinary one-day international. Uh, extraordinary in the sense that Shubman Gill got over 200 and then New Zealand looked like they were getting an absolute pounding until one Michael Bracewell came out and hit one of the more sensational knocks uh, you will see. 140 off 78, taking New Zealand within sight of the most unlikely victory uh, you could uh, ever possibly imagine. Uh, whilst uh, the White Ferns announced their squad for a World Cup, yes, it is the year of the World Cup, and uh, the White Ferns uh, squad for the upcoming Women's uh, T20 World Cup in South Africa has been named. To discuss these issues and more, our dear friend here on SCNZ, Jehuda's Dulcet Tones, uh, throughout the uh, Pakistan-New Zealand one-day series. It is one... And the only Mr. Peter McGlashan who joins us from his palatial estate. Pete, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good morning. Uh, being the second best cricketer in your family, uh, I know you're well versed on uh, everything as far as the White Ferns are concerned. Uh, we, we had them hosting a, a World Cup or um, here last year, a one-day World Cup. But I, I always feel when speaking to our top female players they feel like they're a better T20 um, or, or, 
or more equipped to, to handle the rigours of a T20 tournament than a one-day World Cup. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. I think it's um, you know probably uh, related to depth. Uh, I think we saw the effect of some of the key fast bowlers like Leah Tahuhu and that having injuries over the last few years, the effect that that had on the squad. They had to bring in some pretty young players. Um, and T20 tournaments do, just with the lower workloads, the bowlers only have to bowl four overs. Um, the opportunity for some of our star batsmen like Susie Bates and Sophie Devine to pull off match-winning things, uh, the T20 tournaments just mean that if your talent stocks aren't quite as deep as some of the other countries, then it just gives you that extra opportunity to do well. It's been quite a transition over the last year or so um, with some players who still are clearly good enough, in my humble opinion, to be playing international cricket, told they are no longer wanted. Uh, so uh, I guess there might be more eyeballs, or, or the knives might be sort of half drawn in some quarters looking to be sharpened to have a crack at the side if they're, they're unable to compete. But they should compete with the talent they have named. Peter, would that be fair? Like, How do you judge the squad they announced? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's pleasing to see um, Bernadine uh, Biswoden, I think is how we pronounce her name. Um, I've never got it right, uh, even though she's a Northern District. Biswodenhout? But um, Biswodenhout, yeah, that's right. Um, great to see her back in the squad. She obviously took a, a little bit of time off for some um, uh, personal health uh, reasons, and so it's good to see her fight back. She'll bring some tenacity um, for sure, and to have some of the senior players still there is really important. Um, but it is, you know, it is a, a time of change, a time of transition. Um, you know, we've seen a, a strong uh, development squad to go to India with the women's game, and we've got the women's under-19 World Cup on in South Africa at the moment, which uh, they're doing well at as well. So it is pleasing to see some of these younger players getting a chance to step up, and uh, I think it's a sign of the future that you know, the, the White Ferns uh, have got some good systems in place. Uh, they've got a new coach in Ben Sawyer, and it's an exciting time. And as you say, you know, hopefully they can um, continue to grow and, and the public can be patient with them as they rebuild. Morning, well, Morkel brought in a, a smart move to to bring in uh, someone who's played at the top level in South Africa for so very long for, with such great success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, it would be ideal to bring in uh, women coaches as well to the women's squads. Um, but you know, the women's game professionally is is still quite uh, young in its growth, and so. When you have uh, uh, touring a country like South Africa, it's really important to get local knowledge, um, pitch conditions, um, you know, what types of players you should play, what works on those conditions. Obviously, the men's game and the women's game is different in the way that bowlers extract pace and bounce out of the surface. But there'll just be some really helpful things which Mornay can provide. Um, you know, there's a handful of, of um, former men's players out there who are working in the women's game and, and providing a huge level of um, depth of knowledge, which just uh, the, the men's professional game has been around for longer, obviously, and, and bringing some of that expertise with, we've had Jacob Borum in the past and others um, is really, really helpful. So to have someone of Mornay's calibre um, will be a real shot in the arm for the women over there and, and hopefully give them a, a level of confidence when they come up against um, grounds that they haven't played on before and opposition that they haven't faced in those conditions. Yeah, I know different sports, you know, and it can be dangerous to compare the men's and women's games. Um, it can be lazy. Um, I'll be lazy on this front. Uh, if I look at trends from the last T20 World Cup last year in the men's game, you had Pakistan essentially played five, actually six frontline bowlers, it did seem. Um, is the women's mm. game as uh, going in that way, that, that actually you're looking to, to load up your team with as many quality bowlers as possible? Yeah, potentially. It kind of depends on the strength of your wicketkeeper. So, 
Um, if your wicketkeeper can be a, a genuine batting option, uh, and Bernadine is an aggressive um, keeper, and um, you know we've had the um, uh, good fortune of having the last couple of wicketkeepers have been strong batters as well, as Rachel Priest and Co. and Katie Martin, then it does allow you to play uh, a broader base of bowlers um, as those options. Uh, that only really works though if your if your top order does really stand up and and I think you know that has been the challenge sometimes is that not all of the white ferns top order have performed all on the same day, which does mean that you do require a few more batters at sort of six and seven and the bowlers are asked to do a little bit more than they need to. We're fortunate that you know some of the bowling all rounders for New Zealand like Leah Tahuhu and and Sophie Devine. Um, uh, are, are strong batters as well, uh, Melia Kerr as well. So we've got some all-rounders who, uh, while their bowling is good enough to get them in, are also really, really helpful when you add them to the batting lineup. Those warm-up matches are hugely significant, aren't they? There's three against England, I think, uh, practice matches, um, all in Johannesburg, and then I think they've also got um, other warm-up, another warm-up game against England and the West Indies. So a, a bit of trial and error throughout those five games, or is the trial and error phase over? Oh, yeah, they might want to trial a few things just in those conditions. And England are obviously a very polished team um, who have been investing in the women's game uh, financially and, and professionally for a very, very long time. So they're a good um, market to compare yourself to. And playing the same opposition repeatedly does allow you to tinker with a few things. It would be uh, There's not much point tinkering if you're playing against three different oppositions um, because you don't necessarily learn which of the changes have provided the benefit. So playing the same opposition a few times does allow you to, to play with any yeah. combinations if you do have any uncertainties. But I'd imagine most of that squad... Um, will sort of pick themselves and there might be a few of the players, you know, um, 19, 11, not necessarily in the batting order, but in the naming of the squad where you start to think actually, you know, what what, what would it mean to have a slightly different bowling combination or to, um, to swap a few people around in the middle order? And so those might be the few changes that you'd like to play with. How bonkers was Bracewell's game the other day? I'm calling it the Bracewell game because that's all I'm going to remember it for. Sorry, Shubman Gill, you might have got 200, might have been the fifth Indian player to do so, but boy, oh boy. Michael Bracewell oh, took us close seemed, to one of the most extraordinary like, wins. Yeah, and it just seems like the natural evolution of that Pakistan series, where that, that Pakistan series was all over the place. The roller coasters <laughs> that we had in a couple of schools, where you know we thought we were out of it, and then we're back in it, and then have we got enough? And then massive partnership with Williamson, and then it's not, you know, and then it's just bizarre. So, yeah, really promising for Bracewell, I think. You know, it was a tough ask on that bowling lineup. That, that Black Cats bowling lineup is probably one of the least experienced we've put on the park in a very, very long time. Um, when you look at, you know, Tickner and, and Shipley and Ferguson as sort of your, your key um, uh, strike pace bowlers there. Um, you know, hopefully East Sodi, I think some of the word is that East Sodi's um, ankle may be on the mend but may not quite be ready yet um, so yeah it was an exciting game Bracewell a lot of talk this week about how his huge amount of experience in the domestic game meant that um, he's just really well equipped to go into international cricket and succeed I think we've seen two guys in Daryl Mitchell and, Mike, uh, and Michael Bracewell who have got a wealth of domestic form behind them uh, a little bit like the Australian adage of you know needing to really really prove yourself at the local level before you get the call up and Bracewell just seems to be the maturity of, of uh, he knows his game and he's just making good decisions both with bat and ball. So really exciting because it was a bit of a question as to who was going to fill that kind of Jimmy Nisham role, who could come in and bat powerfully and you know bowl you between six and ten overs. 
um, and Bracewell seems to be a really natural fit at the moment. So promising signs. Obviously, they didn't get the win, but any performance like that um, with a World Cup in the same area later next year, uh, later this year, um, will give them a huge amount of confidence. Peter, it's a huge year for cricket. Can't wait to chat more as the uh, year goes on. Thanks so much for joining us. It was great to hear your voice behind the mic again during the uh, tour to Pakistan. Cheers. Appreciate it. Peter McLashan, former Black Cap and part of our SCNZ uh, cricket commentary team, joining us for our Talking Cricket with uh, PGG Rights and Turf, key suppliers to New Zealand cricket grounds, premium suppliers of turf seed and maintenance products to New Zealand cricket grounds around the country. Back after this. Six and a half minutes away from 11 o'clock. Yeah, I'm telling the time right on day number one. Uh, this is the Saturday session. I'm Daniel McCarty. Ben Francis is with me. Let's go to the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, a few of your messages have rolled through. Our question of the day for you. In this bumper sporting year, as we set the table for the year ahead, uh, our first show, Ben and I, together this year. It, it, it's going to be too few and far between over the next couple of months as we're sort of transient figures. Uh, but it's important to start at the top with... Um, the big ticket items, um, and simply with this congested sporting calendar that has lots of four-year world tie, uh, championships with all the, our, our regular club competitions that we love and adore and uh, annual world uh, competitions, what is the one priority for you in 2023? We've had um, high hope messages, someone wanting Ryan Fox to win a major. We've, we've even had a more measured uh, call of uh, Zane. Uh, Zaid? Zaid? It was Zaid. It was Zaid. Who just wants to see building blocks. Zane. Just Zane. Uh, thank you, Ben. He just wanted some building blocks at the Warriors. Uh, it's the beauty of this uh, topic. What is your priority? What do you want to see? Uh, our dear friend Jason um, from Australia has texted, and Daniel, I want the Wallabies to win the World Cup under Eddie Jones and beat those All Blacks in the Bledisloe Cup and win the Four Nations. Well, Jason, you're shooting for the stars there, my man, and I do appreciate it. Thanks for your contribution. Um, you know what? It's not fanciful, is it? As I, as I mentioned... At the top of the program, last year's international rugby was so crazy. Everyone beat everyone. So many options are on the table here. So many teams could theoretically win that World Cup based on those results alone last year, Ben. Guess who was coaching the Wallabies last time they held the Bledisloe Cup? It was Eddie Jones. It was. Yeah. Uh, he got them through to a World Cup final in 2003 before a Johnny Wilkinson drop goal, if I'm not mistaken. I think only Michael Checker has got them back. Won't be Dave Rennie. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where Dave Rennie uh, lands. So uh, thank you, Jason. Um, and hi, Daniel. I want to see the ABs win the World Cup by scoring tries and showing world how to play the game. This assumes we will we win the breakdown and able to move the ball wide. Regards, Steve. Oh, Utopia. Winning the World Cup and playing expansive footy. Good luck. Um, appreciate your messages. Keep them rolling through on the Temper Bed Post Text Machine, double eight, double three. Uh, back after the short break with the latest in the headlines. Oh, it's been weeks since I've had some sacks. Love a bit of sacks with you, Ben Francis. No one does sacks like you, Ben Francis. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hello, all. One minute after 11 o'clock, if you are just tuning into the program, we welcome you with more, although we look at you with great disdain because you missed out on a fabulous last hour. Uh, question of the day, uh, your sporting priority for 2023. It is a chocker sporting year. There are so many uh, international tournaments, World Cups, etc., etc. Uh, it might be at the club level. Arsenal fans! 
You might just want to win the English Premier League. Surely it's yours to lose. Well, it was probably looking that way 44 minutes into that game yesterday between Man City and Spurs before Man City uh, clawed their way back. Gee, they, they they just won't go away. What an incredible side Man City are. They haven't been near their best this year. Um, Arsenal fans, you might just want an EPL title to your name. Um, great to see that Arsenal-Manchester United is a relevant game again. Uh, that's the headline act in the English Premier League this weekend. Yes, that's me being rather uh, disparaging of uh, Arsenal and Manchester United in recent years. Uh, that is um, an eagerly anticipated game this coming weekend. But I'd like to know, Ben, would like to know your sporting priority for 2023. What is it uh, that you want to see more than anything else? Just one thing. Although uh, Jason um, mentioned three things all from one side. He wants Australia to clean sweep everything, win the World Cup, uh, win the Bledisloe, win the Four Nations. Uh, and it was uh, met by Barry's uh, text uh, to Jason in Australia. Mate, you're dreaming. Thank you very much, Barry. Good retort. Uh, keep your messages rolling in on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Double eight, double three. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body, so you can put your head and feet in up in comfort. Uh, what's coming up later this hour? We're going to talk uh, with Chad Milnes about some boxing. Parker versus Massey. Uh, massive weight dis- uh, disparity between the two. About ten kgs, if I'm not mistaken, if not more. Uh, Parker uh, tipping the scales 112kg looking to bounce back after being knocked out by Joe Joyce last time out in September of last year uh, while Annalie Longo the uh, fine Sky Sports commentator uh, football player will join us it's talking a, a wonderful week for women's football here in New Zealand with the mighty the USA in town playing at Eden Park later today at 4 o'clock then the Wellington Phoenix women in action uh, tomorrow from around about lunchtime can't wait to catch up with her about 20 to 12 uh, that's all still to come in this uh, hour. Uh, but up first, uh, let's run you through the very latest in sports headlines. Uh, the final um, New Zealand Sevens single tier. Oh, the memories. We had it so good. And we just blew it all by bitching and moaning, didn't we? Uh, the New Zealand Sevens is underway in sunny Hamilton. Uh, and the All Black Sevens uh, have won their opening match by 45 points to nil over the Kingdom of Tonga. Uh, they led by 19 points to nil at the half. Uh, they have upcoming matches against Australia and Great Britain. The Black Ferns Sevens will be in action later this hour against Papua New Guinea. Um, let me run through all of the games so far on the men's side of the draw. Wins for uh, South Africa over Canada, Argentina over Spain. Fiji over France, Ireland scraping past Uruguay, uh, Samoa beating Kenya, USA thumping Japan, uh, New Zealand with the biggest win of the day, uh, 45 points to nil. And and the match, um, which New Zealand will be watching closely, Great Britain up against Australia, that is, it's all over. It's just gone full time and Australia has won. Um, although on the World 7 Circuit official website, Ben Francis, they've got two scores. Uh, Australia either won 33-14 or 28-14. So well done to Australia. They've won. Uh, That's all we probably need to to care and know about. That is the latest from the New Zealand 7s League of the World 7s Circuit. Uh, to baseball now, and the Auckland Tuatara has pushed to qualify for the Australian Baseball League, has received a huge boost after they beat the Brisbane Bandits by six runs to nil last evening. A shutout. Tuatara must win the same 
or more games than the Canberra Cavalry. Right, let's just repeat that. They must win the same or more games. Yeah, more's always better, isn't it? Uh, but need to win, at the very least, as many games as the Canberra Cavalry to make the playoffs. The Tuatara hold a one-game lead over Canberra, but the Cavalry own the tiebreaker over the Tuatara due to a better division record. They have two games today at North Harbour Stadium. To tennis now, and two-time finalist Daniel Medvedev uh, suffered a shock third-round defeat by uh, American Sebastian Corder. So going down to Corder at the US Open as the top seeds continue to struggle on the men's side of the draw. The former US Open champion in the seventh seed lost 7-6, 6-3, 7-6. So in straight sets to the 22-year-old Yank Corder. Um, top two seeds, Rafael Nadal and Kasper Root, already out, of course, with their third seed, Stefanos Tsitsipas. The Greek uh, won yesterday. Uh, meanwhile, world number one, uh, Iga Svetek, uh needed just 55 minute, minutes to beat her Spanish opponent, who we'll probably never hear from again. 6-love, six 6-1 six on Margaret Cordarina. I should probably say her name then. Um, Christina Buxa. I, I had never heard of her um, before. That's a bit mean, isn't it? She's a far better athlete than I'll ever be, but I'll get over it. And that is the very latest in sports headlines to six minutes after 11 o'clock. Uh, box had to come a little bit uh, later, about 20 past, so we're about 40 minutes away. So let's get back to some of your suggestions, your nominations, your wish list for 2023, the things that you want to see more than anything else in this uh, beautiful world of sport. And it is a wonderful year of uh, sport ahead. Uh, on the temper bedpost, text machine. Quarter past. Sorry, quarter past. Sorry, I, I got my times wrong. So we've got about eight minutes. Uh, Maury. Gee, Maury, I hope your 2023 is going all right. Ray of sunshine, aren't you, Maury? Maury writes, and maybe I'm being unfair here, uh, Ben Francis, and you can defend Maury. Maury wants Ian Foster to get sacked. That, that's his one wish for the year. So, Maury, you want to see him get sacked more than his team win a World Cup? It's a bit odd, isn't it, Maury? Is that odd, Ben? No, I'm team Maury here. Oh, you're team Maury? I am. Okay. Well, you're both wrong. You won't get your wish for two reasons. They're not going to sack him now. If they were going to sack him, they would have sacked him last year. Uh, and then he's off contract at the end of the year. And if he doesn't win the World Cup, he's not going to get extended. I understand. So they won't sack him. He just won't come back at the end of this year, I would think. That's, that's my guess. Well, he'll be gone, so I guess that's probably more the premise. But the thing is, with contracts... No, he's sport- sacked. He wants him sacked. And, Maury, have you ever been sacked? Have you ever lost your job? It's, it's not a particularly pleasant thing. I, I unfortunately have in the past. Um, it's quite an upheaval. Maury... Hope you have a good day. Really do. So you, you, you'd, you'd prefer New Zealand to fall on their face than, than them actually win it? 100%. Now, I, you, you can gripe about NZR and the way they operate. The cows come home, and I'll be singing from the same song, song sheet. But still, at the end of the day, I want the team to win. Is I, that wrong of me? No, it's not wrong of you, but I think I think for well from my perspective, it wouldn't even matter who who the coach was. It's just more of a, a to me, it's more of a, a gripe with New Zealand rugby, and I just want to see yeah, them fail. Enough. So it's, it's just unfortunate. Foster's Foster's the guy at the top, so that or the coach. So that's why he's going to get the blame. I hope you and Murray's head don't explode when he gets his obvious knighthood when they win the World <laughs> Cup at the end of the year, because that's what we do. You, you coach your team laden with some of the best talent in the world, and you get a knighthood. Uh, Bryn from Masterton, good to hear from your friend. Morning, Daniel. I'd like to see the Black Caps win the Cricket World Cup later this year. 
If you depress me, Ben, that's probably my one wish too. After the failures of 2015, especially 2019, I'd love to see them get up in 2023. I don't think they have as good a chance as they did in 2019. Um, in 2015, but not far off. Uh, New Zealand always seemingly turn up at ICC tournaments. Look at the, the recent T20 World Cups as well. Uh, I would love that. They haven't won it, of course. Um, and I like seeing things that have not uh, been achieved before. Um, that's why um, you know Wellington Phoenix fans want to suggest them winning the A League or Warriors fans winning the NRL. Um, if that's your wish, completely understand. Um, and a lovely note. Um, from Carlos and Christchurch, hello Daniel, welcome back. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to, and I did not send this in, Ben. This is not my, this is not my work, because generally there'd be a cynical um, line from someone sitting next to me or someone sitting in an Auckland studio. Welcome back. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to your cricket commentary over the Christmas break. You are the cream to the peaches and cream commentary duo, Petrie. You were outstanding. The question I want to throw your way, and maybe this could be a market with the TAB. Which team is more likely to make a World Cup semi-final? All Blacks or White Ferns? Carlos from Christchurch. Thank you very much, Carlos, firstly, for uh, the compliments. It's really nice of you. Uh, We've also double-checked the the number. It's not Richard Petrie in disguise sending that message in. As far as who's more likely to make a semi-final... well, all I can see at the TAB, and I'm by no means an expert on uh, using the TAB website. Ben Francis will attest to this when I'm generally shouting at him at 12.55 going, tell me the odds of this. Um, New Zealand are fourth favourites for next month's ICC T20 World Cup, Women's T20 World Cup. They're paying $8.50. Australia's $1.73. Uh, India's four thirty-three. England's five fifty-three. South Africa at home paying 15 bucks. That's the one I don't buy. South Africa um, were pretty good in the, the one-day World Cup. Them at home, I, I don't think you can discount them. So I, I think making the semifinals would be a pretty good effort by our White Ferns. But as I mentioned with Peter McLashen, um, those players seem more comfortable playing T20 cricket. They certainly believe they're a, a better T20 side than a one-day side. So if I'm then to bring out the outright winner, because I don't think there is an option to make the semifinals. Uh, New Zealand's not even favourite to win their pool, of course, because France is the favourite to top pool A at a dollar eighty compared to a dollar ninety, and France is the favourite to win the World Cup at three dollars fifty. New Zealand's at three seventy five. So that would tell me, Ben Francis, that the All Blacks are a better shot at making the semi-finals than the White Ferns. To answer Carlos's question, I guess so. That would probably would make sense. Hmm. Whether or not that will actually happen, uh, who knows? Only time will tell. As I say, world cricket is, um, or T20 cricket, hard to predict, isn't it? Um, the shorter game seems to bring randomness into the equation, and international rugby in 2021 was just extremely random. Um, those knockout games are going to be uh, really something. Uh, keep your messages coming through as far as your priorities uh, to uh, for the sporting year that is 2023. Your priorities. Uh, the one thing you want more than anything else, and this is a huge year for which uh, we can't wait to go along with you on the ride here on SENZ.
the best way, double eight, double three. That's the Temper Bed Post text machine. We can always pick up the phone, 0800 150 Although we're going to pick up the phone and make a call uh, during this ad break because uh, we're going to talk some boxing uh, up next. Can't wait to, to dig uh, a little bit deeper into the upcoming bout between uh, Parker and Massey. Uh, Chad Milnes will join the show after the short break. Stay with us, 13 after 11. 18 minutes after 11 o'clock, time to talk some pugilism, time to talk some boxing. And uh, time to welcome back an old friend. Well, we can claim him as a friend. He was on the program once uh, last year. Uh, he also won our hearts because, um, you know, one of the themes of 2022 was lamenting the absolute disgraceful uh, landscape of New Zealand sporting nicknames at the moment. Not with this man. Chop Chop is back. Chad Milnes join us, joins us, a former New Zealand amateur champion, former Commonwealth Games rep and Oceania champion. Chop Chop, welcome to the show. Cheers, cheers. No, thanks for having me. Good to be back. <laughs> it's great to hear your voice again, my friend. How's, how's your Christmas and New Year's been? Uh, it was good. Um, you know, lots of eating, and now it's damage control, so <laughs> get, get back to the grass, mate. Got to get back to the grass. <laughs> my Lord, a lot of... Because you were, what, you were 60kg champ, right? Something like that? If I, if yeah, I remember light, correctly. Lightweight, lightweight, 60 kilos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there wasn't yeah, a hell of a lot about, to you, mate. So, oh, it's a lot more now. So, I'm about 25 kilos up from there. I'm about 85 now. Um, and I'll 85. Tell you, it's good weight. It's not say I'm. It's well, not say you, it's muscle. I won't say that. It's it's not muscle. So tell me, how does it's it like uh, when you when you <laughs> when you overindulge at Christmas? How much do you blow up? Uh, is it a couple of kgs? Because um, that's a Tuesday for me. Oh. Uh, I don't know how much you you can blow up <laughs> over the Christmas New Year period. Well, I, I, I haven't I haven't blown up twenty five kilos. I'll say that 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 that's, that's been a consistent effort over a few years. But um, I think I've gone up about three or four this Christmas, which is not too bad for me actually. But there's still some work to do. I had a body scan yesterday, and uh, the the results were not favourable. Let's say that. <laughs> and clearly, Chop Chop is not willing to reveal them live on radio across New Zealand and the globe here on SENZ. He's going to keep that close to his chest. Um, should we should we talk about what we promised? <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll actually start talking about, um, you know, what we promised we'll talk about, which is the return to the ring for one Joseph Parker, of course. Last time we saw him was in September, uh, being knocked out for the first time in his uh, career. Uh, very late in the fight, I think it was the 11th of 12 rounds against Joe Joyce. That was always going to be a difficult fight. I think prior to it, he, he'd had a string of good results, hadn't he? About, I think, half a dozen wins. How how much of a setback was that loss, you think, to the grand scheme of things? Because a, a lot of transient sort of boxing fans are always thinking about the long term. What does this mean for his career type thing? So now you've had a couple of months to digest it. You know, the, the Joe Joyce fight, as far as significance, was what? I, I think that I think that, that fight, it, it was a bit of a setback, you know. Um, he's had a few fights at that, you know, elite level. You know, Joe Joyce is an elite competitor, and he's had a few fights at that, that level, and he's fallen short just a little bit. Um, it is a bit of a setback, but a big part, big thing about Joe is that he's only just turned 31. Uh, he's really young as a heavyweight with a massive amount of experience, and um, yeah. considering those things, he's still fighting on a big platform. So you know there's still people supporting him. He's still got players in, there, in his corner willing to put him on the big shows and, and build him back up, and tomorrow was an example of that. He's still he's fighting on... What are the first biggest show in in, uh, in the UK, um, and he's on the undercard on telly. So you know he's still got a lot of people behind him. 
um, and, and think that, you know, he, he probably does have a, a, another big fight in him. Yeah. yeah so it's almost five years, isn't it? Um, five years in March, to be exact, from when he fought Anthony Joshua. So he had, and then he backed that up with a loss to White, and then it was sort of rebuilding over the last couple of years. So he, he was climbing back, but probably a step or two back, but he takes on an opponent who will do what for um, his chances longer term if he was to beat Jack Massey? I, I don't think that, you know, this, this guy, I've looked, looked a little bit into him, and, I, you know, this guy is, you know, looking at it, I'm pretty sure that his role is to come in and make Joe look spectacular. Um, yeah. He's a cruiserweight that fought once at heavyweight, um, and that heavyweight fight was at 92 kilos, which is only a kilo and a bit up from cruiserweight. And we're talking, he, Joe Parker is, you know, a, a, a 110, 108 uh, heavyweight in good nick. You know, he's in good shape when he's 110. Um, and this guy's been fighting at 90.8. And he's had one fight where he was a kilo and a bit above. And that's his only fight at heavyweight. And it was against a lower level um, competition guy. Uh, he did knock him out in the second round with a body shot, but, it's just it's just a completely different caliber of fighter as well as a completely different size of fighter. Uh, I, I think that he just won't have the firepower um, to first of all bother Joseph, um, and as well as his stylistically from looking at him, he's also open um, to big shots. He's open to shots. He's not massively elusive. He stands in front. He's got a classic European style. I just think that it's just going to be an uh, opportunity for Joe to on a big platform just blow someone out the water. Um, that's what I expect to happen. If it doesn't go that way, it will be quite uh, upset in itself if Joe doesn't blow him out the water in, in the first few rounds. I, I have not done the research, but I'm going to make a, an educated guess here. Uh, I, I doubt Parker would have had the size advantage many times, if at all, in his career. Just looking at what they weighed in at, Parker's at 112, so just two Ks above that, that you know good weight that you mentioned at 110, uh, while Massey himself just 98 kg. So, so that in of itself is quite unusual for Parker to be the big man and to best use that advantage. How does he do that? I mean, he's, he's a little bit heavier. I mean, he just came off a, a loss, but he's also getting older. And he's at the point in his, in, you know, his age where that weight is going to probably start to come on a little bit. Um, but a massive, look at that, there's a massive amount of weight and advantage. You know, like 14 kilos on someone is a lot, even for heavyweights. Between they got open weight category, 14 kilos is a lot of difference. And like you said, Joe has never really fought as the bigger guy. He's often been the smaller guy, especially in the recent fights. He's always been the smaller, faster guy. Um, it could pose some kind of difficulties in the difference where typically he's dealing with the bigger, slower, but bigger, stronger opponent, where now he's going to have the opposite. He's going to have a smaller opponent that might have a bit faster hands, um, a little bit more you know, faster footwork, agility, but... I, I, the way I see it, it's just going to be a, a smaller, easier punching bag with less punch resistance, and, and he doesn't have to worry about what comes back to him. I mean, Joe Joyce is the juggernaut. Huge puncher, and you, we saw the way that Joe went down from that left hook. No one's hurt Joe that bad, ever. Um, and, and this guy has got nothing on him. I mean, even as a cruiserweight, he's only got a 50% knockout uh, ratio. At cruiserweight, the division below, he's not a big puncher for the division below. So uh, I think that the weight is going to play a big factor in it, the weight difference, the weight division, um, even the skills, even the skills. I think Joe will, is a good boxer, and he can even show a bit of that to, uh, tomorrow and actually show his power. Joe doesn't get enough credit for his power. 
he is powerful, but he's just been fighting elite level guys that you know that are bigger. So his power is not really highlighted; it's his speed is. But I think his power will also be on show tomorrow morning. Yeah, he he has fought a lot of very good opponents over the last six or seven years, Joe Park. You just look at his resume; he's he's got in the ring with some really really talented folk, um, and some individuals who, who've got some incredible pedigree. Uh, Massey, this is a wonderful opportunity for him, but gee, I don't know how he goes about it technically. It's not as if he can rely on speed and nimbleness because Parker's not the slowest himself. No, 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 he's not. So, uh, I, I, Stylistically, this guy stands in front. He doesn't really try and move his head too much. He keeps his hands up. So I think it'll be a little bit of target practice. It might be an opportunity where Joe gets to you know, have target practice and have some fun and make it look good. Um, and I... Sorry, I didn't really answer your last question too well. Uh, as, as thinking about the fighters that he's had and, and how he fought a few years ago against um, what's that, Anthony Joshua and Joe Joyce, those guys are on the way down as well. Just thinking about it, they're on the way down. I mean, Dylan White in his last fight didn't look too good. So actually thinking about it, there are some prospects for, for Joe to actually maybe fight those guys again. But I think it's a different, a different story now. Thinking about it more, I'm getting excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> but but the heavyweight division, I, I think we've all been crying out for some certain fights that really have never come to fruition over the last couple of years, which is hugely frustrating to fans, and I think a, a detriment to the sport overall. So if we take to take more of a broader look at the division itself, you know what's to look forward to um, in the heavyweight uh, category in twenty twenty three? What are we going to see? Well, I, I have I keep hearing through the grapevine. You know, it's often built up and then never comes through. But it seems to me, I, I, I'm hoping that this time it's the truth and it feels like it might be that the Usyk-Tyson um, Fury fight is looking like it's actually going to happen. You know, I've seen a lot. So I'm hoping that does does come through. But, you know, while we're on to- topic of Joe, I think that the if Joe wins this fight tomorrow, I think that the white rematch could, could potentially be, be made. I mean, it makes sense for both of them. Um, they're both looking for a bit of a marquee name to put them back into contention. Um, and then Dillian Wyatt, I think, you know, he, he, he didn't look too good in his last fight, but again, he's a guy that's had a lot of opportunities and, and this might, could be his last one. Um, and Joe hopefully gets his, his chance again. So I, I think that fight could be made this year. Uh, I'm hoping it does. Um, in terms of Anthony Joshua, I'm not too sure what's going to happen with Anthony Joshua. I think he's the one whose career is probably... I don't know where it's going to go. Um, so I don't know where that is, where, where that's going to go, but I'm really looking forward to the Usyk jury fight. It, it needs to happen. There's been a lot of backwards and forwards around who is the, the undisputed number one, and I hope that gets made this year um, and sort of seals the deal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other guys that are coming through, like uh, 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 there's the big Croatian, uh, Hergovic, um, he, he looks like he's going to be starting to push for a world title fight and, and really talented boxer. He actually, actually beat Joseph as an amateur at the World Championships and he's an Olympic medalist um, with good power, good boxing. Uh, I think he's someone to watch for. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hoping Joe gets his shot again at White. I'm, I'm excited for that one and I hope that happens. Yeah, uh, but U- Usyk Fury would be fabulous. That Usyk's a generational talent, eh? Like Seriously, the things he's achieved in the sport across multiple divisions. It's just amazing. Unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable. To, to be able to stand up with the biggest, strongest guys in the heavyweight division and um, box circles around them is, is, is awesome. He is a special talent, and he really backs himself. Um, and I think he backs himself enough 
to take on the Tyson Fury. He's the type of guy that really believes in what he can do, um, as does Tyson. And I think that that's what will allow the fight to happen should they be able to get past all the, the, the contracts and the money and the promoters fighting it out for who gets what. I think I think that, that their attitudes and their, their mentalities, the fight should happen this year. And I'm really excited for that. It's, it's, it's not their typical heavyweight kind of matchup where who's going to knock who out, but it'll be a technical fight, I think. It has to be for both of them. So I'm looking forward to that. It's a, it's a bit of a jazz kind of thing of boxing. It's a stylistic matchup for the purists. Um, but I think even for everybody, all, all boxing fans around the world, it's, it's the heavyweight crown of crowns, the unofficial, undisputed, whatever, everybody, who's the guy. Uh, that's, that's good for everyone. That's, that's, that's every boxing fan wants to see that. Yeah, uh, so Joe Parker wins comfortably. Chop, chop. That's what you're telling me. I don't think many uh, people listening would be too surprised to hear that. Maybe a rematch with Dillian White to come. Uh, this is your own supposition, of course. That would make sense. That was that was a fun fight, wasn't it? Um, you know, Parker really fronted in the championship rounds after White got a big lead, was knocked down what very late in the fight, um, got to his feet and held on, Dillian White. Uh, so so that, that that probably would have some draw in that part of the world, wouldn't it not? Would it not? I think it's that was a great fight. I really I really enjoyed that fight. Yeah, it was it had everything, a bit of drama, there was knockdowns, um, everything. Everything was wasn't good that fight. So so I'm looking forward to that, it should have happened. Um, and, and at the same time, both both crowd favourites, Dillian Wyatt is a big following. That's why he just keeps getting opportunities to fight for the top because he's got a lot of supporters. And, uh, of course, Joe seems to be getting all these opportunities too. So he's got support from down here. And he obviously has a lot of support up in, up in the UK. So um, it, it seems like on paper it should happen. And uh, I hope it does. And, and I think the times are different. Joe, since that fight, has improved a lot. I mean, he just blew, uh, not Dillian White, he, Derek Dezor out, out the water in his last fight, just annihilated him, and he's getting better and better. I think even in his last fight, it was a loss, but just better and better and better. He showed good boxing skill, he showed he showed durability, he showed uh, courage, and um, I think that it's a different time if they fight again. Dillian White's on the down, and I think Joe's coming into his prime. I think the best is yet to come for Joe, um, and I'm excited for, for, for me old mate. Hmm. Uh, get you out on this one, Chop Chop. Um, we, we can get a little bit sort of too focused on the heavyweight division because of uh, the New Zealand Samoan ties to, to Joseph Parker. Uh, outside of that, tell us who is the one fighter we all should follow in 2023 for excitement value across any of the weight divisions? Who is it? Who, who's the one that, that um, you know, fans that dip in and out of the sport um, must see because they are just um, all action and just a, a truly special talent? That's a, that's, a, that's a tough question. But, um, I mean, the guy that recently beat uh, Canelo Alvarez, Dimitri Bivol, he's, um, he is, he's definitely someone to watch. And in his last outing, he just showed a technical class that he is and just demolished and undefeated, uh, sorry, took to school and undefeated uh, Mexican fighter. And, and Mexicans are renowned for their boxing. Um, but also someone in the smaller divisions to watch out for. And as, as I think sort of, Someone that will be like a Floyd Mayweather attraction is a fighter uh, called Shakur Stevenson. Um, young fighter, Olympic silver medalist. Um, at the minute, he's just, all of his fights just seemed almost un, un, untested. And he's fought high-level opposition and just seems to walk through all of them. He's, he's been an Olympic medalist himself. Olympic, one, of, one of his beat, uh, last opponents was an Olympic gold medalist. Technically destroyed him, physically destroyed him, beat him on every front. Um, I think that he will be 
I think our oh, this generation's Floyd Mayweather perhaps he's he's just that talented. Um, but also I find that quite intriguing is uh, Anthony Yard will be taking on Arthur Betterbeard. Now, if someone is, is, is boxing fans that love brutal knockouts and 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 bombs flying. That's a fight to look out for, which is uh, coming up very soon. I'm not totally sure on the date, but but that's one to watch. That's a matchup that promises fire, firepower and, and fireworks. Um, but for talent, I think Shakur Stevenson is the one to watch. Good man. I, I, I'm running those names down, mate. Look forward to following them, uh, Chad. Thanks so much for joining us, Chop Chop. You've earned yourself a hot oh, dog. Right. Go, go fill that tummy, my friend, <laughs> uh, and we'll catch up with you soon. Cheers. Cheers. I appreciate it. Have a good one. That is uh, former Commonwealth Games uh, rep and former Oceania champion uh, Chad Milnes. Uh, Chop Chop. That is that is a great nickname, isn't it? A great nickname, no doubt about that. Um, so Joseph Parker up against a little-known opponent who uh, will see quite a lot of weights, 14 kgs. Uh, Jack Massey, that uh, fight tomorrow morning. Uh, we look forward to uh, no doubt providing some reaction over the coming days here on SCNZ uh, to that fight. We will take a short break. It's uh, 25 minutes away from 12. Stay with us. Uh, 21 minutes away from 12 o'clock. This is the Saturday session with me, Daniel McCarty, and Ben Francis. Empty chair. Empty chair. Uh, let's talk some football now. Let's talk uh, a real and with a real focus on the women's game. Why not? Huge week for women's football in this country. Record crowd at Sky Stadium during the week as uh, the football third took on, um, you know, one of the most famous names in international football, the United States of America. They'll do it again at Eden Park. I think it's the first time football ferns might have played at Eden Park. I'll double check with my next guest who was has been one of the very best to uh, ever lace them up for New Zealand. We uh, hope uh, we'll see her again real soon once she overcomes a knee injury. But in the interim, she's done a pretty fine job uh, covering the sport for Sky Sports, certainly um, holding my hand and making me look good when I've uh, dipped into the Sky commentary box from time to time. It can only be Annalie Longo who joins us um, from somewhere. Annalie, welcome to the show. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Thank you for having me. Where are you? Where are? Because this must be a hectic week for you. Wellington one day, Auckland the next. Back to Wellington on Sunday. Do you know where you are? Yep, pretty hectic week. A lot of travel. Um, I'm currently in Auckland. I'm actually sitting just outside Eden Park, uh, about to uh, go through the old dress rehearsal and get ready for uh, what will be a, another amazing fixture um, against World Number One. This is an awesome week, isn't it? Just overall, like, how have you felt about it? Like butterflies for. You know, a lot, lot of the players that you've played with playing at home on Wednesday and such a, you know, positive big crowd at Sky Stadium against, you know, one of the most famous names in international football, then to take them on at the Hello Turf at Eden Park and then, of course, the, the Liberty A-League women's the, the day after. This is a truly exceptional week. Yeah, it's a huge week for, for women's football uh, and women's sport in general. There's lots going on. Um, but, yeah, obviously in Wellington Sky Stadium, uh, history-making uh, uh, crowds for the Football Ferns, 12,508 attending. Hopefully uh, Auckland can smash it up again uh, today at Eden Park. Um, and then we've got tomorrow back to, back to Wellington at Sky Stadium for the Phoenix against Canberra. So, yeah, huge week of, of women's football. Um, yeah, it's been a, a, a wicked occasion seeing so many you know fans out there and enjoying it. We've had some amazing weather. No wind in Wellington, who would have thought? Um, and today it's a beautiful day in, in Auckland uh, at Eden Park. So, 
yeah, amazing, amazing week of football. I'm, I'm gutted to be not out on the field, but um, I'm so glad I can be a part of it and uh, support the team. Yeah, um, I, all I can do, and all of us um, will echo this, we just wish you a speedy recovery. We can't wait to see you back uh, out doing what you do. Ve- uh, the very best, although you're pretty handy behind a microphone now. Uh, you enjoy you enjoying the, the media world? See, we're not so bad on the dark side of the force, are we? We're, we're actually decent people. <laughs> Some of you, <laughs> nah. No, they've been great. I think um, I think it's been a learning experience, definitely, definitely outside my my comfort zone. Um, you're thrown into the deep end, and you're live, and uh, you'll never know what um, sometimes I might say. So uh, yeah, it certainly is nervous. I think I'm more nervous uh, behind the mic than I am on the field. So um, yeah, it's a different kind of nerves. But um, the team around me have been awesome, and um, yeah, just nice to be part of it and feel like I'm still part of the team and can contribute some way while I'm uh, recovering from a injury. Yeah, you're in such a unique position. You're so close to the team. You, you know the players so well. Did, not only are you nervous for yourself broadcasting the game on, on Wednesday, did you did you feel nervous for the team going up against the United States? I don't need to tell the audience how successful that team has been. It, it was a massive challenge to prove that way, although they were well in their fight for what a good a good portion of that game, weren't they? Yeah, I think there were a few nerves. I think the unknown a little bit. Unfortunately, this window sits outside of a FIFA window, so that means that clubs don't have to release their players from their professional contracts. So you've seen the football firms with probably 10 to 12 players missing from a you know a regular squad. So there was a lot of girls. I think there was eight girls um, that haven't been capped in the squad. Um, a range of experience in there. You saw Ellie Riley and Anna Green playing centre-back, never played uh, there in previous occasions. So, yeah, certainly... Um, a tough challenge then when you go and play the world number one who has a, a very good squad um, and they put out a very good lineup. So I thought the girls did incredibly well in that first kind of 45 minutes. And then you did see the, the kind of gear took over and the, and the US kind of took the momentum and the game changed a little bit in the second half as it started to open up. You saw, you know, some of their class. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a, overall a good performance from the Ferns, especially uh, the circumstances that the girls were under. I, I don't know what our expectations should be um, outside of a window against such a marquee side um, with so many newcomers. Were you happy with sort of the impact those um, new caps, the ones that got on, got some game time actually did that, um, you, you know, and helping sort of elevating their, their own course to sort of waving their hands in front of the, the selectors, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the one thing it did provide is opportunity for players to come in and um, you know, stake their claim for a World Cup squad. So I thought um, Grace Neville looked, you know, pretty composed in that fullback role. Uh, she was an under-17 and under-19 uh, English international uh, and has made the made the change over to, to New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, certainly a bright future for her. Uh, Grace Wisniewski from the Phoenix, she came in and, and got a few minutes towards the end. Um, so, yeah, it was good. Good experience and exposure for some of those players. And I think even for the fans watching it, what an experience for them to be able to watch, you know, Alex Morgan, Rose Lavelle, those players that are, you know, considered the best in the world to see them up live playing. I think not only probably did our players learn, I think, uh, you know, what a spectacle for the, the fans coming down to watch, um, you know, just a quality side like US. Yeah. Any contrast that you've picked up commentating against playing against the United States? You know, um, and about what makes them so good? I think they're fortunate enough that they have the depth and, and that's yeah. something that we've been lacking in New Zealand and we haven't provided probably enough opportunities and pathways coming through. Uh, and that's something in my role at New Zealand football I'm really pushing for that, you know, we need to create, you know, 
more numbers. We need to have more numbers, more participation and pathway for players. So Phoenix is slightly helping that. Um, but it's just the depth they, they provide. You saw at halftime they brought on four players uh, and they immediately impacted the game, if not better than, you know, some of the starters. So they just have that, you know, that um, professionalism about them. Um, they have a professional lead, the NWSL in America, and, you know, they do have access to a, a lot more resource than, than New Zealand football, are, you know, have. Um, and that player base is obviously just a lot bigger. So it is a different beast, um, but we have to be creative um, and, you know, we have to do what we can do within our restrictions. Um, and I thought the girls, you know, competed well uh, and hopefully we can see another good performance. It will be tough. Um, I don't, I'm sure it's a, a tough challenge for Yitka. She's got players that are probably going to play tomorrow for Phoenix and have responsibilities there. So she's going to have to manage game time with, with some of the players today. Um, you've got Betsy Hassett and Grace Neville that have left, so they're not available. So it's going to be a real juggle today for, for Yitka to even get through the 90 minutes with the, with the players available. Um, but, you know, what an opportunity to have the US team here. You know, unfortunately not the best circumstances, but you kind of can't turn down an opportunity to bring such a, a quality no. team here to, to showcase, uh, you know, football in New Zealand. Yeah, that is so true. Um, might not be on the perfect terms, but you agree to those terms every every time to, to get the calibre of opponent uh, in the United States. Uh, Betsy Asset, uh, the good thing about it, we, we've seen her play so often over the years, so her missing out um, creates opportunities. But I'm so glad you took us down that path. I, I don't know how it all works with the Wellington Phoenix women in action tomorrow. I'm, what, Barry, Wisniewski, Edwards, Satchel, um, well, Ralston suspended for the Phoenix, so she can have um, as much game time as she likes later today. So that's a really tricky one for the coach, isn't it? Yeah, it's awful. It's awful for, you know, not only the, the coaching staff for both teams, the Phoenix and the Ferns. You know, obviously a, a dual agreement has, has taken place to allow these players to play. Um, but it also, you know, it's very hard on the player and that recovery we talk about is so important. So, you know, some of the girls, you know, might only get 45 today or, or limited minutes um, and then be expected to possibly play 90 minutes tomorrow. So they'll play today, get on a plane tonight, recover overnight, and then they kick off at 12 o'clock tomorrow. So, you know, it's not ideal um, and, you know, everyone's aware of it. Um, we'll try and make the best of a hard situation. We'll try and manage player load where, where she can. Um, but, yeah, it's not an easy task. But, unfortunately, we're in these circumstances and we've just got to kind of deal and, and manage as best as, as they can. I know your focus is on this afternoon. It's the first job. But an eye to tomorrow, Canberra. We'll start favourites against the Wellington Phoenix at Sky Stadium. Canberra's a, a fun side to watch, aren't they? They've got a lot of attacking flair. Um, Heyman, um, Millie, uh, Milivojevic, uh, the Serbians had real quality. Flannery looked excellent last weekend. It's going to be a tough assignment for the Knicks, isn't it? Yeah, it is, I think. I've got a couple of those players in my fantasy squad, so I'm not sure which one I'm swinging <laughs> tomorrow. But, um, yeah, they, they have been quality. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that or not. But, um, yeah, I think... Uh, I think they are a good quality side. Heyman seems to be hitting a strap. She seems to be getting better and better each week. I'm not sure if she's claiming a, a spot in the Matilda side or not, but she is a quality quality player with a lot of experience. Um, we've got Grace Maher as well in that central midfield role, scored an absolute rocket outside the box uh, a couple oh, of weeks ago. So, yeah, they, they are filled with some, some quality. And obviously, again, the Phoenix will be you know, a bit of a challenge with the circumstances of today and tomorrow. So I'm unsure what the lineup will look like. Uh, tomorrow for the Phoenix. Um, I think we'll have to wait and see for that one. Um, but yeah, uh, again, another opportunity for some players to maybe get an opportunity. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Not, a, not an easy yeah. task. 
No, we'll let you. We'll let you go. You, I know you're really busy. Thanks so much for making some time for us, and I look forward to seeing you at Sky Stadium tomorrow. But enjoy Eden Park this afternoon. It should be a hell of an occasion. Awesome. Thank you very much. Annalie Longo will be uh, on your Sky Sport coverage for that game, kicking off just after 4 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken, then uh, backing up, being at Sky Stadium for the Wellington Phoenix up against uh, Canberra United. Here on SCNZ, we will have full coverage of the second leg of that doubleheader in the uh, A-League men's competition as the Wellington Phoenix take on a very good uh, and informed Central Coast Mariners side. Uh, that's going to be a tasty encounter. That one kicks off at 3. Our coverage Starts at 2.30. It is uh, nearly nine minutes away from 12. Just gone five minutes away from 12 o'clock. Uh, sports headlines uh, about five minutes away before we head to our final break of the hour. Quickly uh, updating what is happening in Hamilton. Well, there's a seven-side rugby tournament. For the very last time, the HSBC World Seven Series is in New Zealand and in Hamilton. And our women's side in action up against Papua New Guinea. They're at the half-time break. Second half just about to kick off. Um, and the home side comfortably out by 27 points to nil. Looking good there. Also in the women's side of the equation wins for Fiji over Great Britain. Australia over Japan. USA over Spain. Uh, Canada and France drew 12 all while Ireland beat Brazil. And if you're late to the party... Uh, New Zealand opened the men's competition with a 45 points to nil win over Tonga, while Australia uh, beat Great Britain 28 points to 14. Australia and Great Britain are New Zealand's next opponents in the men's comp. Back with the headline shortly. It is one minute after 12 o'clock. We're into the afternoon. Happy afternoon, everybody. My name is Daniel McCarty. Ben Francis is alongside me. This is the Saturday session. You can participate. You can pick up the phone and give us a call on 0800 150 811. Any stage, if you've got something to discuss, you can text us on double eight double three on the Temper Bed Poster text machine. Uh, remember, Temper and Bed Post range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Sounds good now, doesn't it? As far as a question, uh, your sporting priority for 2023. That was a question we threw out at the top of the program. It is such a massive sporting year. You look what's going on now. Uh, the Australian Tennis Open, uh, Men's Hockey World Cup, field hockey that is. Then we've got the ICC Women's T20 World Cup starting in February, later this year also in cricket, the Men's One Day World Cup. Uh, in India, we've got Basketball World Cup, Netball World Cup, Rugby World Cup. Yeah, lots of World Cups, throw in your uh, normal club and um, franchise-based sports, or the other international sport going around that has uh, annual world uh, titles. Um, up for grabs, Winter X Games, I, I think, starts in about a week or so. There's so much for us to look forward to. So we want to know, what is your priority? What is the one thing you want more than most? What do you hold higher uh, than anything else? Ben Francis' answer was, he just can't wait to soak in a full tournament here in New Zealand. That is the, the FIFA Women's World Cup. Yeah, let's not forget that. That's coming to our shores. That's going to be absolutely amazing. Already half a million tickets sold. Um, I went down um, a, a fairly a predictable path um, as far as a team winning. If I'm to elevate one team winning, I'd love to see the, the Black Caps finally win a uh, World Cup after the heartbreak of the last two. Uh, one day World Cup finals, of course. Uh, but it's time for you to participate, double eight, double three. We've had a variety, variety of nominations. Love to hear some more. We'll uh, read out your texts as they uh, come through. Uh, during the final hour of the show. But at the top of the hour, we always like to reset the, the latest in sports headlines. And uh, to football we turn, uh, Nottingham Forest have signed Newcastle and Kiwi striker Mr Chris Wood. Wood off to the Forest. 
on loan though until the end of the season. You might remember this time last year he transferred from Burnley to Newcastle. Well, after a year, um, he's clearly done the job for Newcastle. Now uh, he's moving on to new pastures. Uh, Nottingham Forest have been quite uh, a fascinating case in English football. They signed about 23 players in the off-season. Not uh, finished. They've, uh, they're bringing in Chris Wood uh, in a deal that will see him arrive initially on loan through to the end of the season. But there is an option to make the, uh, it a permanent transfer um, uh, for next season. Uh, as I say, Wood moves after just one year. Uh, from Newcastle after, uh, I think it was 20 million quid plus, maybe 25 million quid deal, uh, joining from Burnley. The New Zealand captain has played 18 games in the English Premier League this campaign. He scored two goals, but the vast majority of those performances have been off the bench with just four starts. Meantime, Forest are in action against Bournemouth tomorrow. Gee, the English Premier League is fascinating. Not only at the top, but you look at what positions 13 through to 20 down, my Lord, that uh, race, the relegation race, is going to be absolutely frightening. The top four race is going to be fascinating. Um, and Arsenal, Man City at the top. Is it a two-horse race? Football fans, um, do let me know your thoughts um, on that. Uh, Ryan Fox um, swinging a mighty club last year. Now, didn't he? Well, he swung a pretty good club at the Abu Dhabi HSBC Golf Championship. Uh, he has shot a six-under to move to seven under for the tournament and to move into a tie for ninth. Yeah, a six under round for Ryan Fox. Well played him. He uh, is just three strokes off the lead, um, held by a couple of Italians. Uh, uh, Migliozzi and Frankie Molinari lead at minus 10. Frankie Molinari shooting a five under today to join his compatriot at the top. Um, but uh, Ryan Fox is looming. Uh, just three shots in arrears after a six under today. So well done to Ryan Fox. Uh, emerging star Sebastian Corda has uh, knocked out dual runner-up Daniel Medvedev out of the Australian Tennis Open with a dazzling straight sets upset. That's the, the real thing that sticks out is how easy he did it. The American claimed... A roller coaster first set uh, that went for 85 minutes. 85 minutes that set went for. Um, 9 7 in a tiebreaker going to the Yank. In comparison, the world number one, Iga Svitek, just needed 55 minutes to win her game. 6 love, 6 1 on Margaret Court. But the, uh, on the men's side, 85 minutes um, in that uh, roller coaster first set. Uh, the second set was far more straightforward for the American winning 6-3, and then he saw the job home on Rod Labour Arena. Uh, another tiebreaker in round, in set number three, seven four. So congratulations uh, to Sebastian Corder uh, for knocking out Daniel Medvedev. There's been quite a few upsets already, especially on the men's side of the draw. Uh, let's look at the HSBC Sevens uh, competition being uh, held in Hamilton. It is at day number one. Uh, we gave you an update at halftime just prior to our last break on what is happening with the uh, Black Fern Sevens. Uh, they're up comfortably at the half over Papua New Guinea by 27 points to nil. It was a, a similar uh, sort of um, scenario in the second half where they've you know, put 31 points on Papua New Guinea. So I've run out 58 points to nil winners over Papua New Guinea. Um, so a good start for the Blackfern Sevens. Uh, the 
All Black Sevens started with a 45-0 win over Tonga. Their next game is at six minutes after two o'clock when they take on Australia uh, before finishing day number one at 7.35 tonight against Great Britain for the Black Ferns Sevens. Uh, Their next game, as he hurriedly scrolls down, will be against uh, Fiji at 12 minutes after 3 o'clock. That will be a a good one. And then uh, New Zealand take on Great Britain at 3 minutes past 8 in the final game of the day. There you have it, the very latest in sports headlines. It is nearly 8 minutes after 12 o'clock. Time to turn our attention to the NFL. We're into the divisional round, week number 2 of the playoffs. The wildcard round lived up to its name last weekend, did it not? Um, for example, in the uh, NFC, one of the mag- most magnificently named athletes on the planet, Brock Purdy. I love that name. Could you get a more American name? Through four, touchdown, uh, four touchdowns as the 49ers ease past uh, the Seahawks by 41-23. to 23. Elsewhere in the NFC, uh, the Giants outlasted the Vikings 31 uh, points uh, to 24 for their first playoff win in 11 years. So stay away from your Giants, mates. Uh, the New York Football Giants fan base, uh, they'll be uh, rather annoying after what happened last weekend. Um, and lastly, in the NFC, was a goodbye to Tom Brady. Well, who knows? As the Cowboys too strong, 31 points to 14 over the Buccaneers. While in the AFC, um, a quite extraordinary comeback from the Jaguars, wasn't it? 27 points down to beat the Chargers, 31 points to 30. Uh, the Chargers have uh, quite a chicken past as far as, um, you know, moments going against them. Well, that wasn't a moment. That was a complete and utter meltdown. Uh, elsewhere, the Bills, um, who have any, uh, Super Bowl aspirations, were pushed far too close for their liking, uh, holding on for a 34-31 wildcard win over the Dolphins, uh, while... There was a 98-yard fumble return that lifted the Bengals over the Ravens, 24 points to 17. Uh, So that was all the action last week. Um, As far as what's coming up this weekend, we have got uh, the divisional round, which will see the Jaguars take on the uh, Chiefs in the AFC alongside the Bills up against the Bengals. While in the NFC, it is uh, the Eagles up against the Giants and the Cowboys up against the 49ers. Some absolute marquee matchups for sure. And we are delighted to welcome back to the program. We spoke to him last year. We're absolutely wrapped that uh, we didn't annoy him so much that he's uh, answered our phone call again. Uh, writer for Niners Nation, Jordan Elliott joins us deep in the winter um, up there as we're basking in sun, but he's basking in the glory of covering the NFL and the playoffs. He must be in his happy place. Welcome back to ECNZ, Jordan. Lovely to lovely to have you back. Oh, thanks for having me back. I can't believe a year's gone by so quickly, but it's always a pleasure coming on. Wild card round was wild, right? What was what was the wildest part of last weekend? Um, you know, I th- it has to be the Jaguars coming back from 27 to zero. That's just such a rare um, feat in the NFL. It- it's something that you don't see happen even in regular season games, but to have it happen in a postseason game on that stage is absolutely unheard of. And the way they were able to come back at the end, uh, the you know very gutsy decision by the head coach to go for two. Um, to set them up to get that game-winning field goal and win by one point. Um, you, you couldn't have scripted it any better. So I would say definitely the 27-point comeback was probably the most exciting thing. But um, it, it was a full weekend full of exciting moments. So it wasn't a clear-cut winner as it normally would have been. But I, I would have to lean that way. Yeah, absolutely. Have any Chargers fans come out from the, the bunker after that, that loss? 
You know, I have a couple friends who are Chargers fans, and I hate to say they have just been so – they've dealt with stuff like this, maybe not to that magnitude, but they've dealt with so much yeah. disappointment over the years that there, there wasn't much left uh, left for them to feel at that point. The emotion's gone out the window in years past, so I think they just they just kind of expected it at this point, and that's almost even more <laughs> disappointing for them is that it uh, there wasn't much hope left to break for them because they've already felt so low in previous years. They're not called the Chargers because um, the fans charge them for all the psychological help they need after watching watching them year in, year out. I'll tell you what, anybody who's a therapist in the greater Los Angeles area is probably making quite a, quite a fortune these last few days because, because of the trauma they put those fans through. So I, I think you're onto something there. <laughs> yeah. Because he's had such an extraordinary career and he's playing at such an extraordinary age and such an extraordinary position, I have to ask a question about Tom Brady, even though his side is not playing this weekend. Uh, what's the latest with him? Will he go again? Will he not? Um, even though a retirement could change 90 minutes after, after all. You know, I, I think until we see him on the sidelines for at least a full season, I'm going to assume he's going to come back and keep playing. I think that he he himself on an individual level was still playing at a high level this season. I don't think he had the pieces around him that have typically produced the success we've seen from him in the past. He didn't really have a ton of time to draw back and throw, and they didn't really have uh, much of a running game in Tampa Bay. So I think in the right situation, he's still somebody that can produce at a high level and lead a team to a championship, despite the fact that he will be 46 years old next season. Um, You know, the rumor is that uh, Las Vegas, the Raiders are pushing hard to try to bring him in. So that's definitely something to watch. I don't think he'll be back with Tampa Bay, but until I see otherwise, I'm just going to assume the guy's going to keep playing until he's 50, 60, however many years old, because it seems like he's the one athlete that, uh, is keeping father time at bay for now and, uh, you know, miraculously playing into his late 40s, which is just absolutely unheard of. It's it's amazing, isn't it? I'm with you. I'd love to see him go. I, you know, just out of sheer sort of fascination, uh, how long someone can play that position for at, at a reasonably high level. Absolutely. Like, I, the way I'm looking at it now, like, it's very reasonable to expect he could make it to 50. And to think about somebody playing in such a, you know, violent physical sport at the age of 50 and continue to do it at a high level, I think that's something that would be unprecedented. We probably would never see again in our lifetime. So I'm kind of rooting for it on the side personally, just, just for the pure spectacle of it, because I'm with you. It's, yeah. it's absolutely phenomenal to see. All right. Um, as, far as, as far as last question about last week, who's the one team? that you're absolutely staggered, surprised, aren't in the divisional round? Um, you know, I would say probably the Chargers, just because I, especially given the fact they had that lead, I thought they were a more talented team. I thought they were a more experienced team. So I would say probably the Chargers are the team that I'm a little bit surprised. Minnesota had a good record, but I think they were a team where the, the record looked much better than the actual product. So the one that surprised me the most was definitely the Chargers. And then that surprise increased tenfold when they had a, you know, 27-point lead that they managed to blow in the second half. So I'd definitely say the Los Angeles Chargers. Okay, so with that in mind, after that extraordinary comeback from uh, the Jags uh, to win 31 points to 30, they now take on the Chiefs, who, boy, oh, boy, they, um, they've got so much firepower. The man um, at the huddle, of course, uh, Mahomes, Cook, is the key man, but this side fourteen and three throughout the season. The Chiefs, how big a task 
uh, for the Jags. Is it one that you give them a faint chance, a great chance? How is that matchup looking in your eyes? You know, I think it's a situation where nobody's really expecting them to win, and it's one of those things where they might have a chance simply because the pressure is all on the Chiefs. The Chiefs, I believe, last time I looked, I think they were an eight-point favorite, which is a very large spread in an NFL playoff game. Um, Most people, if not all, are picking the Chiefs to win this one. So I think the chance that the Jags have is simply that they can come in and probably play a little bit looser knowing that they don't have the expectations and they aren't – nobody really expects them to win this game, so they don't have the weight of the expectations on their shoulders the same way the Chiefs do. I'd be extremely surprised if they did win. But the beauty of the NFL is that, you know, they always say any given Sunday, um, and uh, there's so many times we see – the unexpected where the team that isn't given a chance manages to, you know, come back and find a way to win. And I think if you're the Jaguars, uh, you you know, you just came back from that 27 point deficit last week. So you maybe have a little bit more belief in yourself and you don't really buy into all the doubt and all the people that are picking the chiefs to win this one. But uh, I'd be very surprised if Kansas City didn't come away victorious in this one. Yeah. The line I'm looking at has the, in fact, a nine-point spread. So it's blown out even further since you've last uh, checked, Jordan. But to, to the uninitiated in New Zealand, please explain um, Patrick Mahomes and, and what he is all about and some of the numbers he's raked up. Um, you know, I'm, you know, crude numbers here. In, in five, five years as a starter in the regular season, he's close to 200 touchdowns already in five seasons. That's mind-blowing. Absolutely. He's only been in, you know, a start, as you mentioned, for five seasons. And I think he's already firmly placed himself in the conversation for the greatest quarterback of all time from a pure uh, <laughs> talent standpoint and from an ability standpoint, which is remarkable. You know, we're, we're talking about Tom Brady in his 23rd season with the seven Super Bowls, but Mahomes is on a trajectory where he could be the clear cut greatest of all time um, before he's done playing. And it's just remarkable to see the things that he does week in and week out. Uh, you know, I've, I've been watching the NFL for 25 years, and he, he's the greatest player I've ever seen, bar none. Uh, just the things that he's able to do week in and week out and uh, the, the angles that he's throwing some of these balls, the way he's able to, ex- uh, you know, escape pressure, um, launch the ball 60 yards downfield on a rope and do a tight window to a receiver. Um, I, he's he's a he's a he's a magician on the field like i struggle to find the superlatives to describe the way he plays but he's somebody um very early in his career who's already basically uh placed himself in a hall of fame caliber level of talent and uh, is on that trajectory to be the greatest player to ever play which is just again remarkable when you think about how many great players have been in the nfl and this guy's in year five and he's already placed himself in that discussion yeah, again, just providing more context for the New Zealand listeners. Um, you know, before his age 30 season, he's on a path to pass Joe Montana for career touchdown passes before the age of 30. That would put him, you know, in the top 20 already, and the kid's not even 30. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And he's one of those guys where, you know, um, a couple of years ago when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 2019, they were down 24 to zero in a playoff game and they managed to win that game by double digits. They came storming back and <laughs> you never feel like you're out of a game. And if you're a team playing him, you never feel like any lead is safe. You could be up 40 points and you'd still be sweating on the sideline 
watching that clock go down to zero because you know that he's capable of pulling off the spectacular. Yeah, I, I always have a good chuckle to myself when uh, I pull up a stats page and I see drafted 10th overall, and I'm wondering how, ma- how many scouting directors have been sacked since the 2017 NFL draft. Oh, absolutely. And I think he's a great example of how hard it is to really, uh, you know, evaluate and uh, look at these guys in college and then evaluate how they're going to translate to the NFL level. Um, and it's so funny because you hear now a lot of stories of coaches and executives talking about how, well, we really liked him and we wanted to draft him and we were looking to, <laughs> to get him. And it sounds great now, but, you know, only one team really did. I, I, anybody could say it in hindsight, right? So it's always funny to me to hear that how the, all of a sudden everybody really liked Patrick Mahomes, but as you mentioned, uh, nine people were drafted before him. And, you know, you'd be, you couldn't really make an argument that any of the nine that were taken before him have ended up having a bigger impact than he has. Okay, so what did the Jags have to do um, to cause a monumental upset? I, I think both you and I think they're not going to do it, but, you know, um, if there are any Jags fans listening, give them hope. You know, I think the biggest thing with football is that turnovers are always the ultimate equalizer. And if you're able to create a couple turnovers, and uh, especially in a short area of the field, if you're able to get a team to turn the ball over on their side of the field and create scoring opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise have, um, it can make even uh, the strongest of teams like the Chiefs vulnerable to an upset like that. So I think the, the main thing is that the, the Jaguars have to take care of the football one of the things that was miraculous with their 27-point comeback was they had five turnovers themselves, and they didn't generate any turnovers, and they still won that game. I don't think there's any possibility of that happening against the Chiefs this week. So they're going to have to take care of the football themselves and uh, be opportunistic on defense and find some ways to create some turnovers, uh, send some pressure looks at Patrick Mahomes that maybe gives him an unfavorable matchup where he's throwing a ball into traffic and you can get your hands on it, tip it in the air, get an interception. Uh, but I, I would struggle to see them pulling out this win if all things are equal across the board. So the turnovers, to me, would be the great equalizer that will give them a chance to pull off this upset. All right, so the winner of that game uh, goes through to meet the winner of the Bengals up against the Bills. So if I looked at just their regular season record, uh, what the, the Bengals 12-4, and four, uh, the Bills 13-3, and three, but the Bills are at home now, aren't they? And probably will start a reasonably strong favorite, am I not mistaken? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that it it should be a great game, but going to Buffalo, especially this time of year, is uh, it's a very difficult task for the road team. Uh, Bills fans are very passionate, very loud. Um, They're going to come and they're going to bring energy. They're going to bring noise. And uh, when you're in upstate New York like that, the temperature can get dropped very quickly. Um, I haven't looked at the forecast for the game, but I imagine it's going to be reasonably cold. So that always adds an extra element to things uh, this time of year. But, uh, you know, the Bengals, uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and that group of skill position players are very talented themselves. So I expect it to be, you know, a shootout. I think there's going to be a lot of points on the board. And uh, I think that's going to be one of the better matchups in the entire playoffs, not just this weekend. So I'm very excited to see that game. Okay, elaborate on that. Why are you so excited about that matchup specifically? Absolutely. So um, I think just with the, with the quarterback play, that's where everything starts in the NFL. For me, um, what, when you're talking about excitement and matchups and uh, when the stage is this high, uh, Joe Burrow was in the Super Bowl last year. He's one of the young up-and-coming stars in the league. And then you have Josh Allen, who's, you know, five, 250 pounds, not only has this rocket for an arm, but also can run with the football, um, bowls over defenders uh, when he does 
get used as an option in the running game. So you have two of the most talented uh, quarterbacks in the entire league going head-to-head. But the teams in general are very complete. They both have solid defenses. They both have really talented uh, skill position players, the receivers, the running backs on both sides. And I think any time you can get two teams that are this talented and this evenly matched, it typically will create um, a much better matchup and a much better product overall. So I think just when you look at the collection of talent on both sides and uh, the, the just absolute star power you have at quarterback on both sides, it should create uh, one of the more favorable matchups for fans to enjoy throughout these postseason. I'll do you a favor, Jordan. I'll read you the, the latest forecast for upstate New York. I've always wanted to say that, upstate New York and Buffalo. Uh, cloudy with snow developing during the afternoon. Temperatures are nearly steady in the mid-afternoon, 30s. Winds east-southeast, 5 to 10 miles an hour. Chance of snow, 80%. Snowfall around one inch. Oh, well, the, the snow always adds an extra element to things. I'm a big fan of snow games myself because I think it adds an, uh, an added layer of, uh, of uncertainty. It makes it a little bit harder to run. It makes it a little bit harder for these guys to find their footing. Um, I, I always love when, uh, when Mother Nature adds an extra uh, variable to the equation. So I hope we get a nice snow game in Buffalo because those end up usually being uh, classic matchups in my eyes. And don't be fooled, New Zealand listeners, 30 degrees is not 30 degrees. It's minus one. It's minus one in our terms. That's cold. It's damn cold. All right, so that's uh, one side of the equation. Let's go to the uh, NFC where the Giants up against the Eagles. Um, A great rivalry, isn't it, Um, of yesteryear. Um, I, I pointed out at the top that the Giants haven't been in this position all that often over the last decade. But the two fairly passionate fan bases... But what Philly should run away with this, won't they at home? You know, I, it, on paper, I could definitely see what, how that would be, um, you know, the, the presumption in this one. And they very well could. Uh, in one of their two meetings this year, they blew the doors off the Giants. It, it wasn't a close game at all. But uh, I think one of the great things about the, the matchups between divisional opponents in the playoffs is that the two teams are very familiar with one another. Uh, which leaves a lot less room for surprise and typically leads to a closer game. We saw there were three um, divisional games in the wild card round, and even though the score to the 49ers Seahawks game ended up being a little bit lopsided, it was a close game for the first three quarters, and the other two games were one-score games uh, themselves. So I think any time you have a divisional matchup, even if one side is more talented than the other, typically the results are going to end up being closer just because there's so much familiarity. And I think this Giants team is kind of in that same boat as the Jaguars where everybody's kind of counting them out. They already won a playoff game. They're kind of ahead of schedule with the rebuild they were going through. So they can kind of come in and play loose, whereas Philadelphia is the one seed. They're the team that has home field advantage. There's a little bit more pressure on their side. So I actually expect it to be a pretty close game. I, would have, I really feel like Philadelphia will win. They should win the game. But I think it might be much closer than the betting lines and the public perception would indicate. All right, 49ers, Cowboys. Um, of course, you were very close to uh, ni- the Niners uh, Worlds, working for Niners Nation, of course. This is, you know, talk about storied franchises in the NFL. Um, I-, I can see why the cheapest ticket available at the moment is about 585 New Zealand dollars. That's right, listed. 585 New Zealand dollars if you is the cheapest ticket you can get to this game. Uh, and what probably should be, or arguably could be, the closest game of the round. Would I be right in thinking that? 
I think you're absolutely right in thinking that. I think this is going to be the best game of the round. Uh, there's just so many tantalizing storylines in this one. As you mentioned, two of the most storied franchises in the history of the league that have a long-standing rivalry that was dormant for a little bit, but has been reignited. Yep. They both met in the playoffs last season. Uh, there's obviously the great, you know, uh, rivalry back with Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman and Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. And, uh, you know, this was the defining rivalry in the sport in the 80s and 90s. So I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of bad blood on both sides of the fan bases where uh, th- th- this is probably the most hated side for each team in terms of rivals that they want to see their own team beat. Um, and when you just look at the product on the field, the Cowboys are a tremendously talented team. They have a great defense. Uh, Dak Prescott looks like he's found his footing after a rough couple of weeks. He was fantastic against Tampa Bay. Um, and then with the 49ers, they've won 10 games in a row. Uh, Brock Purdy, the unsung hero of the season, is continuing his, uh, his rapid ascension to stardom here in, uh, in the Bay Area and uh, with 49ers fans worldwide. So I'm with you 100%. I think this will end up being the closest game, and I think we're due for, uh, for a classic matchup that we'll be talking about for many years to come. Brock Purdy, what a, that's a Hall of Fame name, Brock Purdy. Do Brock Purdy's men get the job done? I want you to stick your neck out. Um, you know, uh, foreshadow what happens. How does this play, uh, game play out as far as you're concerned? Jordan, we'll, then we'll let you go. Absolutely. So I think it's going to be a close game throughout, but I do think that the 49ers will ultimately find a way to pull away at the end. Um, as of the, this morning when I checked, they were a four-point favorite, and I think that kind of falls in line with where I see the score falling. Um, I think it'll be somewhere along the lines of 31 to 27, somewhere in that range. I think points will be put on the board. And, uh, you know, for anyone betting, the over is 46. So I'm a little bit more inclined to take the over there. But both teams have good defenses, so who knows. But uh, I think the 49ers end up pulling out a close one at the end. And uh, maybe it's a Brock Purdy drive that he leads towards the end. And his his Hall of Fame name gets even more uh, more recognition (laughs) worldwide. He continues to grow the legend that he's been building this year. The legend of Brock Purdy. Got movie written all over it. Hey, Jordan, thanks so much, mate. Wonderful stuff. Uh, enjoy what is always a truly fascinating uh, weekend uh, and round in the NFL. Thanks so much. Great uh, of you to drop the knowledge on us. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to come on, and I really appreciate it. It's great catching up with you guys. Jordan Elliott, uh, writer for the Niners Nation, talking NFL with us, uh, the divisional round. Uh, Fantastic round of NFL action coming your way. Um, four games coming thick and fast. You know, there's a good argument to say this is the best weekend in the NFL. Uh, thanks so much once more to Jordan for joining the program. Uh, we'll take a short break. Gee, I, gee, I stole a lot of his time there, didn't I, Ben? Uh, he was just thinking he was going to have a little five, ten minute chat. Uh, uh, uh. Nah, mate. Nah. You an NFL fan, Ben? Who's your team? Well, I don't, I don't support a team at the moment. But when I first got into it, I, <laughs> you're available. You're available. Yeah, but when I first started, over. when I first started watching NFL, I liked the Eagles. But then they had a guy by the name of Chip Kelly come along, who they signed from oh. Oregon, who's the the manager, yeah, and he brought in brought in all his favorite players from there, and they just went downhill. Like they let so many of the fan favorites go, and I kind of lost a bit of interest after that. So. Yeah, I don't have a team, but if I had to pick one, it would be the Eagles, but that's just because I followed them. I also have a Detroit Lions cap, which I got signed by Reg- 
I got it signed by Reggie Bush when he was in Australia in 2014. I happened to be out there as well. So I went and got a photo with him and got a signed cap. Nice. Very good. So you're not back on the Eagles bandwagon. To the bandwagon. Well, that's the thing. I don't want to be a bandwagon person, so no. Nice. See, full of morals and integrity is my producer extraordinaire, Ben Francis. We will take a short break. It's 29 minutes away from 1 o'clock. Keep your messages rolling into double eight, double three. our temper bedpost uh, text machine, our question of the day. With all the sport that is ahead of us, both club, international, World Cups, etc., etc., what is the one thing you want in your sporting world more than anything else? Uh, do let us know. Double eight, double three. Love to get more messages on that front. Uh, back after this break. 24 minutes away from 1 o'clock. This is the Saturday session with uh, me, Daniel McCarty, present Ben Francis, producer extraordinaire. To the odd show we go, Ben. Your help certainly needed here. What is the odd show you do ask the odd show? Quirky and bizarre sporting stories you may not have heard of, but you definitely need to know about. Now, this was a much-discussed topic on the odd show uh, prior to Christmas. In fact, rather foolishly, um, I challenged uh, Grant Elliott to uh, said competition. He turned me down knowing he would lose badly. But um, what I'm about to read um, probably has me thinking I was a little bit silly agreeing to it in the first place. What am I talking about? Well, after much discussion and delay, Dana White's Power Slap League finally got underway as expected. And as expected, there was some controversy. Well, lo and behold, slapping someone in the face as hard as you can has led to some consequences. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it, Ben? Who would have? Who would have? One clip emerged of a slapper who was knocked out cold, and when he became conscious, he had no idea where he was or that he had been fighting. Um, There was another slap where someone went down, tried to get up, and did a roly-poly going forward. Yeah, not by design, but because they could not control their, their body. The one that really hit hard was the one who went down and gave it the old Dean Lonergan. Um, it wasn't a good look. Now, Chris uh, Nowinski, the founder of Concussion Legacy Foundation, was qu- quick to criticise uh, the sporting competition, saying the man who was unconscious may never be the same again. Um, I don't know how you can defend that. You know, at least in boxing, it's protect yourself at all times. Um, in other uh, combat sports, the other person gets to defend themselves, Ben, theoretically. Some aren't very good at it. But this is just odd, right? Well, it was, it was, it's been made even more a bit weird because I don't know if you would have seen during the Christmas break with Dana White, there was a video of him where he slapped his wife or his partner. No, no, I missed this. What? Um... So uh, there was a video emerged. It was, I think, they were out on New Year's Eve. Uh, a video. They were out somewhere, and there was a, a video of him saying that he slapped his partner, and that's why this whole league at, at firstly got delayed because of this. And there's also lots of controversy around it as well because people are going like Dana White slaps his wife. And what, now no, he... not on the buttocks in the bedroom um, consensually. It was a slap across <laughs> the face. Yeah, and public. Was, I don't know. Was he out with Michael Clark? Was he having a night out with Michael <laughs> Clark or something? And Carl Stefanovic as well. Yeah, <laughs> Carlos. Oh, who knows? Who knows? But no, nah, yeah, so the, that's why there's been that. So he's a of, wife slapper? Yeah. He's a classy dude, isn't he? Very classy. Right, okay. So it was delayed because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the clips I've seen, mm, yeah. The whole not being able to defend yourself thing. Sort of. 
But you know what? People will watch it, won't they? And in probably great numbers, won't they, Ben? Oh, probably. I think. I and think... they'll just and and those who follow who like what they say will just say, "Oh, you're just being the moral police," and blah 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 blah. Well, you know, both sides, you know, both sides can be right. You can enjoy it, and you know, the athlete could suffer significant brain uh, trauma, right? Both exactly. Both can be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure I will be uh, tuning in all that often. And so, Grant Elliott, wherever you may be in the world, you're off the hook. I take back my invitation. I, I rescind my challenge to uh, get into a slapping competition uh, with you. What have you got, Ben? Have you heard of the Netflix curse, Daniel? No, do tell me. Well, the tennis world is a buzz. Uh, just talking about the Netflix curse during the Australian Open due to their new TV series that they've launched called, I think it's Breakpoint. Or... Yes, I've seen the ads for it. Yep. Yeah, so that has launched. And out of the 10 players featured uh, promptly in the first five episodes since it came out last week, uh, only one remains. <laughs> but this is not like the Madden curse. Remember the Madden curse when if you're on the cover of Madden, the NFL game? Yeah, well, yeah, sports. Yeah. It's uh, in the game. You would have a rubbish season the next year, and that happened over a number of years. It did. I remember. That's way too. That's way too early to be a curse. It's this novelty. It's a coincidence. Yeah, so the one person that's left, his name's Felix. He's a Canadian tennis player. He said he wasn't aware of it until his partner told him about it, and he's saying, "Oh, it's purely a coincidence." But hey, if he goes out in the next round, they might they might be thinking, "Oh, there might be some truth to this." Um. What, what level of player was in this documentary? Was it the top 10 players in the world? Or did they feature, I don't know, people right across the rankings? Because if it's the latter, surely this is what would happen, right? Because they're not particularly good in comparison. Well, I've only seen the first the episode. I've only seen the first episode and Nick Kyrgios was the the main antagonist in that one. But I think they also said like the world, he was an Italian, I think he was world number 13 at the time, was it in it as well. So there were big names in it. Right. Um, have you watched it? Uh, just the first episode, which focused on Nick Kyrgios at the Aussie Open. Uh, and? I, I found it quite interesting, and because it led to a bit of a discussion last week about Nick Kyrgios being a hated athlete because he has this perception of being really hated, and I found this list from three years ago, and he was voted the second most hated athlete in the world. This is an Australian poll, sandwiched between Oscar Pistorius and Aaron Hernandez, and I thought, and I was kind of thinking, "Whoa, okay, so you're well, telling me one killed a guy, <laughs> both of them and killed the other one, <laughs> but no, let me put it, one killed a girl, both of them are killers, exactly, and he's he's wedged in between, so one is rated better than Nick Kyrgios. Come on, people, I know he's had quite the rap sheet over the years as far as tennis incidents." Tennis incidents, but come on, God, that that's mind blowing. Thank you for alerting me to that, uh, Ben Francis, on multiple fronts. Uh, the curse. I'm definitely going to go watch it tonight. Um, and Saints defensive end Cameron Jordan has won his appeal of the NFL's decision to fine him fifty thousand dollars for allegedly faking an injury during a game last month. Jordan and members of the New Orleans franchise, who are who are always honourable and never do anything against the spirit of the game, like bounty hunting, um, were fined by the league, who felt Jordan had faked an injury to give his side an advantage. But after a lengthy appeal, records show Jordan had indeed sustained an injury. The NFL has recently said it is trying to cut down on players faking injuries so the game isn't brought into disrepute. 
I'm sure there's a lot of sports fans who follow a lot of other sports who are thinking, I wish my team uh, and my sport did the very same thing. Although, just be very careful. If you're going to accuse someone of faking an injury, make sure they haven't actually hurt themselves, as was the case with uh, Cameron Jordan. That was the Odd Show, the weird sporting stories you may not have heard of, but you definitely needed to know about. We will take a short break. It is 17 away from 1. Uh, 12 and a half away from 1. Uh, before we take a break and head to uh, sporting tips you should probably run a mile from, uh, let's get to to news, actual news. Gee, I feel for a large section of New Zealand who, I'm not sure if they'll be able to take out their rage on this person like the last but apparently, uh, Labour MP Chris Hipkins uh, is set to replace Jacinda Ardern as Prime Minister after becoming the only nominee for the party's leadership. He was first elected to Parliament in 2008, was appointed Minister for COVID-19 in November 2020. Uh, in Miss Ardern's shock announcement on Thursday, she said she did not have enough in the tank to lead. Uh, how long Miss Hipkins will be in office is uncertain as New Zealand holds a general election in October, you may be aware of. So... Um, there was some suggestion that uh, there would be a number of contenders, and I think two-thirds majority of the caucus who were set to uh, meet at one o'clock tomorrow uh, were to decide, but it seems like that meeting won't go um, all that long because the only nominee for the party's leadership is um, uh, Chris Hipkins, who looks set to become the next Prime Minister of New Zealand. Um, also into news, but from the sports variety, Ben Francis, uh, Syria are giants, Juventus have been docked 15 points following an investigation into the club's past transfer dealings. Uh, at least Football Federation says a Serie A Giants were accused of fixing their balance sheet by artificial gains from club transfers. Juventus had been in third place, but the penalty will drop them to 10th. The club's uh, board of directors, including former uh, president Andrea Agnelli and vice president Pavel Nedved, resigned in November. Uh, Juventus, of course, have denied any wrongdoing and confirmed they will appeal the decision. In a statement, the club said they await the publication of the reasons of the decision but have started bringing an appeal to the Sport Guarantee Board of the Italian Olympic Committee. Um, if you think this is the lowest point in Juventus's uh, history, you'd be wrong. Go do some light reading over the weekend and just, just search Juventus scandals over the years. There's been a few of them. Uh, they were sent to Serie B, um, what, a decade or so ago um, for some dodgy dealings. But, yeah, 15 points have been docked. We'll be back after this to wrap up the show with our sporting tips you should probably run a mile from. Sporting tips you should probably run a mile from. We were pretty good at the end of last year. Um, this is not um, a statement saying that run will continue in 2023 because I'm going to start off with an emotional bet, which is generally pretty stupid, isn't it, Ben Francis? Always bet with your head, bet responsibly. Sometimes the heart takes over. It's the last, it's the last ever New Zealand Sevens on New Zealand soil. So I'm going the double header, Ben Francis. All Black Sevens, Black Fern Sevens, paying uh, $3.25 the men, $1.90 the women. Slap them together, $6.17 for my multi. There you go, you're welcome. What have you got, Ben? Well, I'm getting with the heart as well because I want Sir Andy to continue this, min- yes! this amazing running yes! on. 365 over at Roberto Batista Agu. So come on, Sir Andy. Come on, come Sir, on Andy. Sir Andy. Be involved next weekend, then we'll dedicate a three-hour sports show in New Zealand to you, Sir Andy. Come Full on, Sir Scottish Andy, music. get up. <laughs> exactly. A proclaimer special. Uh-huh. <laughs> There are other good Scottish bands, Ben. 
You do know that, right? Yes, I do, you know, do that. know that. Of course you do that, mate. Magnificent musical taste. Great to see you again, friend. Good to have fun with you on a Saturday. Thank you, everyone who's participated. Ka kite. Bye-bye. Take care.